This is the first time we're talking about a movie I brought in since episode four, and this is episode nine. Oh shit. Hey girl. You're listening to the Cinephilia Podcast. With your hosts, Michael Caddy and Trevor Messid. Mmm, Cinephilia. Well, we love movies so much, it should be illegal. Hello and welcome to Cinephilia, the podcast, episode number nine. I'm Michael Gaddy. And I am Trevor Masid. Hey, he said his full name this time. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is our first, well, it's not our first, this first episode talking about a movie in a while. This is our first talking about a movie I brought in in like five f- episodes. So, yeah, pretty, pretty excited. This is a movie that uh, I bought for you like a decade ago. And he finally opened it. Literally, I took the shrink wrap off, off of it, and I sent uh, Getty a video of me unwrapping it to show him that it's being used. And to be honest, I don't know why I never watched it. Because uh, uh, usually, like, I, you know, listen to suggestions that you give for movies. Yeah. I think it's just with, like, moving. I've moved a couple times, and my movies right. just kind of stay together, and I just put them away, and there they go, and... And since we're on the topic, uh, I was going to ask you, how many of your movies do you have that you've never watched? How many do you own that you've never watched? Honestly, unless they were given to me by someone, like, I've watched all of them. Because I have, you know, like, I wouldn't buy it just to let it sit there. Right. I'm, try- well, I'm trying to think specifically if there's any movie that I have that I have not watched yet. Well, it's never my intention for it to just sit there. I always have the intention of watching it, but... Yeah, but that's, you know, that happens sometimes when you have, like, a vast collection, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't... I don't. My collection isn't, like, huge by any means, so everything right. that I have is just, like, my one of my favorites or movies that I, like, really, really love, so... How many movies do you think you own? Tressa would say 200. I'll probably say, like, 75 to 100. Probably on the lower end, like... 85 90 something like that that means i own more 4ks than you own movies yeah probably yeah (laughs) uh not that it's a competition or sure sure no uh i want to talk about one thing from our last episode because we talked a lot about film school and we talked about teachers we never talked about our editing teacher we talked about editing class but we never talked about uh, one of our editing teachers kyle uh newichek uh i remember I, i think somebody talked about how he had like these friends and they had the show that they were trying to get picked up and like just got picked up and t- come to find out that his friends were Anders Holm, Blake Anderson and Adam Devine. And the show was workaholics. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I remember that I had heard that too. And then a couple years later, Tyler was watching something and I was like, Holy shit, that's Kyle Newichek. <laughs> I was like, what's he doing? Like, it's crazy. He was on there. And then I researched it a little bit. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, good for him. Yeah. Very happy for him. I didn't watch. I watched quite a few episodes of that show before I think you mentioned something. I was like, oh, wait. That, that is our teacher. I didn't even yeah. notice. Yeah. Yeah. So. Is that show still going? I don't think so. Oh, okay. I never watched it. It's pretty good. But uh, that's it for our intro. Oh, well, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. Um, it's going to be a busy weekend with shoots and stuff like that. But, uh you know, I'm glad we were able to carve some time out. We're going to go see uh, There Will Be Blood tonight. Mm-hmm. Super excited about that because I haven't seen it in a while. And I haven't seen it in 35 since it first came out in theaters at the Dome. Um, so, yeah, super excited. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long while either. I don't even think I own it, which is weird. I don't know why that would be something I would sell, but I guess I'm just waiting for the 4K. 
if that ever comes out yeah i don't know you would think maybe this year for the 15th yeah because that big uh landmark of a anniversary of 15 Mm -hmm. but uh i'm just prattling on now i'm good too by the way thank you for asking (laughs) (laughs) uh just been a busy week my voice is my voice was a little tired yesterday at work but uh did you give it a rest yeah a little bit Uh, um so about this movie this is our third movie from this era the we've done uh 2001 movie last time we talked about a specific movie with royal tannenbaums our very first movie was 1999 this one's 1998 um, we watched the director's cut and speaking of 1998 uh what's this ad- movie called again dark city <laughs> oh shit i watched the wrong movie <laughs> so back in 1988 google was founded <laughs> <laughs> the assembly of the international space station began smoking is banned in indoors in california the clinton Lewinsky scandal happened here's some of the costs of living the average cost of a new house was 129 thousand three hundred dollars uh average income was thirty eight thousand wow the average monthly rent was six hundred nineteen dollars cost of a gallon of gas was about a dollar fifteen fuck off i paid for i paid 555 today yeah uh we obviously live in california and gas is nothing to sneeze at it's no fucking pricey the average cost of a new car is 17.2 k the best-selling toy of 1988 troll uh kind of close it's uh furby okay uh some of the hit games were legends of legend of zelda i love legends of zelda Zelda. i've been drinking um i haven't Uh, legend of zelda ocarina of time half-life resident evil 2 banjo kazooie and metal gear solid uh some of the popular television shows that premiered in uh, 1998 were dawson's creek sex and the city whose line is it anyway the american version one of my favorite shows that 70s show and uh, Seinfeld had its finale, which had 40.5 million viewers. That's how many we had on our last episode. Wow. What a coincidence. I know. It's the fourth most watched episode of television ever behind Who Shot JR and the Cheers and MASH finales. So hmm. the top songs uh, or the popular songs of 1998 were Getting Jiggy With It, <laughs> Wit It from Will Smith. Yes, please pronounce it correctly, okay? It's Witted. It's our obligatory Will Smith reference of the episode. Yes. Um, and then going from five to one, How Do I Live by Leanne Rimes, Truly Madly Deeply by Savage Garden, You're Still the One by Shania Twain, The Boy Is Mine by Brandy and Monica. Oh, that's a good song. And Too Close by Next. that song too close by now. if if you heard it i'm sure you did it's yeah, probably okay. playing right now so when it, you listen to the episode play it in the background okay yeah. thank you uh the top five movies of the year were a bug's life there's something about mary the horrible um roland emmerich godzilla saving private ryan yeah and uh armageddon and some of my other favorite movies from that year were the big lebowski the truman show the mask of Zorro, american history x and the prince of egypt well american history x came out in 98 mm-hmm. it's a good year for movies it was not as good as 99 according to the couple episodes ago and me yes that's okay yeah so let's talk about some of the reception this movie got uh it has an imdb score of 7.6 which is pretty high up there most of the uh, top 250 are in the eights coincidentally rotten tomatoes score is 76 so exactly the same uh the audience score was 85 
The budget for this movie was $27 million. Wow. And uh, you want to guess how much it took in wor- worldwide? I know it was a, basically, a, for lack of a better word, a flop. Um, right. So I'm going to say $38 million worldwide. 27.2. Fuck me. That's, so, yeah. yeah, that's a bomb, bomb, bomb. Yeah, for those you don't understand, a movie has to make back at least twice as much um, in order to really make money back. Because, because you have to factor in like the cost of like, well, back marketing. then they were do- marketing and then like the prints for the films mm-hmm. and getting them to theaters and having to cut the theaters in on some of the revenue as far as like what's coming in. Um, so yeah, that's a huge bomb. And I think yeah. the margin, like not that I'm a industry insider or anything like that but i think the margin is like smaller and smaller now for movies so that's why we don't see a lot of like these good like smaller budget like independent ish Mm -hmm. movies because like with like a like a place beyond the pines with like a 25 or 30 million dollar budget like they don't really exist anymore because you have to make a shitload of money to you know break even even Mm -hmm. but that's why we get like a lot of movies that come out uh with streaming so it makes it easier to distribute like you said we didn't have to we don't have to print film anymore so it makes it a little easier there but typically i think even back then the budget was equal to the budget for marketing so this made to, or this was 27 million to make so it probably cost 27 million to market if they did that much do you remember seeing anything about this movie so i i feel like i there was no I think the most I saw was a poster or like the video when I went to Blockbuster. Yeah. So that's after it had come out even. So so. that could be a reason why it failed kind of. Yeah. So it probably didn't have a super high marketing budget. This is from uh, new line cinema who had a pretty strong nineties after they were like kind of like a third, fourth rate company until uh, 84 when they produced a, a nightmare on elm street mm-hmm. which was a huge hit obviously because they made like a dozen more afterwards and uh yeah just uh they've done like boogie nights seven yeah some of the movies i remember as a kid were like dumb and dumber the mask lord of the rings rush hour the uh ninja turtles movie the first one for oh, really? actually the, the, the original trilogy wow um austin powers uh yeah so when i saw that logo at the beginning of the movie it brought back memories and i'm trying to like like what movie do i expect it to be after this logo and i think dumb and dumber or ninja turtles probably came to mind the most it's got no oscar nominations but i got a bunch of saturn award nominations and won best sci-fi but it tied with armageddon so i know big awards can tie like that yeah I don't know either. <laughs> but yeah so that brings us to the i keep calling it coverage but it's kind of more of an elevator pitch so the elevator pitch of the movie as brought to you by trevor okay Thank you, Gaddy, for passing that off to me. Appreciate it. So I try to do this kind of like like a, a smart a smart ass review of it. I don't want to preface it with anything. So, so you don't have to preface it yeah, even with that. I like the idea of it being a smart ass thing, no matter what your opinion of the movie is. Yeah, exactly. Um, this doesn't mean I didn't like it. This doesn't mean I loved it. This is just um, when I think about it, an easy way to describe the story to someone in kind of like a humorous way. Yeah. So uh, for Dark City... An narcoleptic man with a solid curly mullet discovers that he has telekinetic powers and proceeds to use them to destroy an entire race of extraterrestrials without the aid of Kung Fu. <laughs> uh, you never cease to amaze. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, this movie obviously got uh, 
compared to lots of the matrix. Mm -hmm. So if you could boil it down to just like, if you described it to somebody in a certain way, it will sound like the matrix or just, but it, it doesn't really like, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I guess we can talk about that further, but I can kind of see some, but like some people are like, Oh, it's a knockoff of the matrix or it's very close to the matrix. And I would say it's not that close. There's some similarities, I guess. If it came out afterwards, I'd be like, Oh, they're obviously trying to Mm -hmm. copy the matrix in some way. Um, in an interesting way, uh, I don't think there are too many post-Matrix movies that were trying to be like the Matrix in any way that I like, except for like Equilibrium. Yeah. But that's more of a guilty pleasure movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure there's something else. Just you know, the leather fetish, the underground world being like kind of blue, while the above-ground world being. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I won't know if it's actually green or not, but uh, it looks. Why kinda, is that? <laughs> it has kind of a green <laughs> tint to it. Uh, but I did want to point out the fact that after you gave me crap for not watching Place Beyond the Pines for months, <laughs> then you had a movie in your possession. Possession that I gave you at least a decade ago. Yeah, that, <laughs> that is that is correct. I was like, Merry Christmas, and you're like, Oh, cool. Hey, did you watch that movie? No, and I was afraid to ask. Like a couple weeks ago, I'm like, Have you seen that movie? But I didn't ask. Um, in in case that you said yes, you did, and I'd be upset. So I just flat out just said, "This is the next movie." There you go. But to be fair, I haven't seen this movie in quite a while myself. So obviously, it's not in my top ten. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to know. You know, I'm interested to know what your reading on it is. So yeah, um, get there. This is directed by Alex Proyas. Uh, you are a fan of The Crow. Yes, very much so. I've never seen it. Wow. Okay. So just keep that in mind for future episodes yeah i know you went to the new beverly not too long ago i was like oh i didn't realize you were that big of a fan of the crow yeah i mean that's um i i wouldn't say again like you it's not one of my top 10 favorite movies but i wouldn't even call it a guilty pleasure but it's just a a solid movie really love the story and you know um you don't get an opportunity to see those kinds of movies in 35 very often so right if they you know happen to come up I'd, I'd love to go just for the experience of it. Yeah. I don't know why I randomly had the thought of like, I wonder if Brandon Lee would have be- played uh, the main character, Murdoch. In this. There's a little bit of trivia on that. Oh, well, we'll get to that. I'll try not to spoil anything. Um, you kind of already did, but okay. <laughs> no, only because you're pushing. Anyways, um, he was another music director, music video director, um, which is super obvious in this movie that this used to be a music video director from the 90s or even 80s. Because, yeah, this definitely has a feel of, of that in it. Uh, uh, he's known now as the guy who did Gods of Egypt, which is... Not the crow, of, Gods of Egypt, that's what he's known for? Pretty much. Like, now his reputation has been tarnished by Gods of Egypt and that uh, the movie uh, Knowing, starring... Uh, Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. I was working at Arclight when, they, when that came out and I wanted to be a projectionist. This is before I knew I was going to be leaving soon after, but I kept asking, can, you know, how, well, let's start the process. How, how, how can I do this? So they started me with uh, screening because we actually had to sit down and watch the, uh, the print. And so mm-hmm. anytime we saw any kind of mess up of any kind, we you were like write quality it down. controlling it. Yeah. That's one of the things I really miss about ArcLight is that they were very much quality control mm-hmm. over their prints they didn't really go like, they didn't care it's not that they uh, the opposite of what i just said 
they're not one of those guys that just like, whatever just put up the movie who cares if there's a giant tear in it um but yeah so we'd write that down and what was cool is uh usually i watched it alone this movie i saw with one other person so we were sitting in like two different rows just talking shit about knowing the whole time i should make sure that you know that i'm talking about that one and not this one uh yeah we just hated on that movie during it and random other story we i saw watchmen with like a full audience and right next to me was uh i guess he was a critic and uh so i was like in the dark trying to write on my paper he's like here have this and he gives me a pen that like lights up just enough to where you can see where you're writing oh wow and so i was like that's really cool and i kept it until it finally died but that was really cool the critic died that's very sad <laughs> yeah I didn't, I didn't take his name down uh there was that point i don't know how much you watch watchmen spoilers for a movie that came out 13 years ago but you find out that the comedian is silk specter's dad um and he laughed and went i am your father like darth vader oh, okay <laughs> so that was fun um and he also did irobot yes which uh, is usually a claim for how well it looks on blu-ray mm-hmm. but doesn't have a 4k release yet so and bringing it back full circle to another will smith reference <laughs> that's right uh um another person of note real quick is uh, david s goyer who was one of the writers uh at the time he was kind of a nobody mm-hmm. but uh he quickly became the comic book guy after writing this and the same year the first blade movie came out he wrote all three of them directed the third one and uh, he's also one of the co-writers of the dark knight trilogy the entire trilogy yeah wow. so he has a, a credit for all three uh ghost rider spirit of vengeance man of steel batman v Wait, superman he ghost Rid what uh the movie ghost rider spirit of vengeance he was uh go okay yeah, i thought yeah, you sorry. meant that he ghost written <laughs> no okay, i got you um uh, and uh terminator dark fate he has a writing credit for all those movies that's the one that came out before the last one right no it's the most recent one dark fate right? yeah hmm. okay the one I saw once went, oh, that's good. I haven't seen it since. Yeah. Even though I bought it. <laughs> See, that that's, you You probably have like 200 movies that you've like bought, but haven't watched yet. I'm a lot on iTunes. Yeah. Because when I buy them, they're like five bucks. So it's not that big a deal. And I'm like, I'm going to watch it eventually. But True. I do watch movies and we'll get to one I watched recently that I didn't own. But uh, some of the inspirations for this movie, obviously film noir in general, but Maltese Falcon was one. Um, the twilight zone was officially one obviously the uh, 1927 fritz lang metropolis mm-hmm. seems to be a huge influence on this movie to the point where i went i just need to buy it because it's been sitting in my wish list forever to get the complete metropolis blu-ray and so i finally bought it and showed up today so nice i mean i'm really excited to watch that and i listened to the commentary with roger ebert he does commentary on four different movies beyond the valley of the dolls um casablanca citizen kane and this it was weird because he did he obviously recorded new stuff for the director's cut but they still had some of his old stuff and uh he died of uh was it thyroid cancer i don't remember some sort of cancer but it like before he died it like um took away his ability to speak Mm -hmm. which is really sad yeah it was a longer process it was a long process where he started losing his voice so it jumps back and forth between like late 90s and early 2000s well, probably maybe even mid two thousands um, with his voice, and so like you can tell which ones were the original cut mm-hmm. and which ones were added on for the new cut. But it was really cool too that he he was he has a different one for each cut. So so now let's get into the actual movie itself. Okay, it, let's uh, do it. Starts off with stars 
kind of like uh, the beginning of Star Wars after the credits, uh, which is also foreshadowing mm-hmm. where it's located. Uh, obviously, we don't uh, know it yet. And again, spoilers for Dark City. Go watch the movie somehow <laughs> before listening to this podcast. I highly recommend it. I'll say that. I don't, uh, well, now we might as well just not do the episode because you already <laughs> fucking spoiled that you recommend it. Anyways, well, I of course I recommend it. If I I think if we recommend if we bring up a movie that we don't recommend, we'll probably preface in that episode saying, you know, I just wanted to see what you would think. I'm not a I know I yeah I have one like that yeah or whatever we'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then we get to the city. Kind of looks like. Burton's Gotham. It looks a lot like Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is very German expressionism. Yep. It's uh, also um, very much uh, Blade the, Runner. The set design is like 100% like 1940s German expressionistic. Yeah, exactly. Um, which I need to... Those are definitely movies on my list, like The Cabinet of uh, Dr... Caligari. Caligari, there you go. Um, and again, I said this movie, movie made me buy Metropolis, the Kino Lorber uh, who is the one who distributed that one? And there, apparently, there's a documentary on there of the making and the restoration of the movie. So I I love watching. You know, they're pretty much the same thing on every version, every movie that talks about the restoration of the movie. But I always love watching it, whether it's like Sleeping Beauty or The Red Shoes or this, or I guess Metropolis. I just love watching those those making of of or the the restoration uh this is when we're introduced to the doctor the good doctor um dr schreiber uh, we find out later is his name played by Kiefer sutherland it's kind of weird seeing him in this being i don't know not an alpha male because that's or like to, a badass he's yeah like a nerdy like mm-hmm. he has like a weird like hunchback and he walks weird yeah. he's definitely not an intimidating uh force in this film he talks like a kid who's upset like hey talk like uh, this yeah that's i i have notes on that <laughs> i didn't really bother me until the very end when he has more speaking time mm-hmm. and it was just like the entire time he's saying literally three words yeah. at a time and i was wondering <laughs> yeah i could see why people that would put off people um i, I think th- he did a good job but yeah just like his speaking uh you know um pattern yeah was annoying i think there's a reason for it um i think i bring it up later but uh we'll see um Kiefer sutherland this is three years before 24 he was in uh flatliners the lost boys and a time to kill with joel schumacher he was also in a few different uh rob reiner films um the original cut of this movie starts with his voiceover mm-hmm. very much in the uh theatrical version of blade runner mm-hmm. where it has voiceover and for no reason and, and apparently it just it doesn't give you all the details of the twist, but it talks about the strangers and talks about a lot of the stuff in the movie that is best to figure out as kind of the characters figure out what's going on. Show, don't tell. <laughs> when is that book coming up? <laughs> I need to make the... I, I do want to make the cover. <laughs> uh, I think this is like the third reference to the to your autobiography. At least. Uh, people are going to think it actually is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I like being as clueless as Murdoch in this movie. Uh, we also see a clock, which is a uh, repeating motif, mm-hmm. and the spirals show up for the first time. I think it, they do. At least I have it written down, and it's also one of Tim Burton's signatures to have spirals in movies. Really? Yeah, it's uh, trying to think because uh, with I know when I saw X Men and listened to the audio commentary, Brian Singer talks about uh, 
how he likes to have circles in his movies so like the coffee mug in uh, usual suspects and like there are a lot of circles in x-men um and he, ta- and he brings up that tim burton one of his signatures is having spirals in his movies and i started watching the movies and i'm like oh yeah there are a lot of spirals at least at least pre uh like like edward and be before when he got to be like the tim burton we grew up with versus the tim burton now now yeah then we go inside the hotel and we see a swinging light similar to uh, once upon a time in the west and that's where we meet murdoch but i want to talk real quick about the cinematography uh from this shot uh, from yeah from the opening i went oh trevor needs to see this movie because it felt very much like like a tim burton movie in in the best way like batman or something mm-hmm. but it also kind of felt like seven at least in that first shot that opening shot with the swinging light with him in the bathtub that's like great and that's actually when you watch the the blu-ray that's like the the, menu. the main menu screen yeah. which is cool yeah i do i i love that um darius darius D- darius walcott yeah he's yeah. the the dp he did the crow and music videos um pirates of the caribbean uh he did um Lone Ranger too, right? Like Tim Burton's other movies. He's um, done like yeah, he's done Sweeney Todd, Alice in Wonderland uh, with Tim Burton. He also did Prometheus and The Last Duel. Yeah, he does a lot of Ridley Scott's like yeah. The Martian. He's very very talented. Oh, for sure. I love. I mean, the movie's called Dark City, so obviously it's going to be dark. Mm-hmm. But I love that about the movie that for the most part this movie is just very dark, with the exception of like the automat mm-hmm. was well lit. And you know the memories are well lit. And the last scene, well, the last scene, yeah. yeah, when we actually go to. But it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely a neo noir, like in every sense of the word, down mm-hmm. to like, you know, their clothing. Just it's straight out of like the forties and fifties, which I love that era. So uh, I was immediately drawn in. And no, like mind you, I don't. I've never seen anything about this movie. I don't know anything about it. So just like I went in completely, like with a fresh yeah. set of eyes, which is the best way to watch. Yeah, this. definitely, so, I agree. Go. Cool. That's how I saw it. I, I saw that. I, I saw that Roger Ebert had a commentary on it. I'm like, oh, so this must be at least worthwhile. To mm-hmm. at least, I need to see it. I haven't seen Beyond the Valley of the Dolls yet, but <laughs> I mean, it's on Criterion, so it must be something about it. Anyways. And there's a lot of long, narrow hallways with deep focus, which is very noir. Mm-hmm. Um, in the hotel, our main character wakes up in a bathtub with no memories. The editing is frantic, and uh, it shows how he must be feeling mentally. He's like cutting back and forth as he's like looking around, and uh, we see his ass at one point. But and there's a fractured mirror. I'm like, is that an obvious metaphor of his fractured mind? <laughs> I'm sure it is. Uh, another metaphor or another foreshadowing is the fishbowl, which is like, you know, they're kind of in a fishbowl of mm-hmm. sorts. And there's also a kind of a mo- mo- uh, another motif of fish in this movie because his uncle, or it just might be a clue leading you to his quote unquote uncle uh, who's in uh, Neptune's kingdom where there are a lot of fish. Yes. And fish also have very short term memory okay there you go maybe that's also giving a few more hints we see a broken syringe i love how we're immediately thrust into the mystery of it in this version i'm kind of curious about the theatrical version given that it gives away so much early on so i can't imagine that being anything worth watching 
I mean, might be interesting for just like posterity's sake, just to see yeah. like what it is. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if this movie needs. Well, obviously, it doesn't need uh, like a narrator explaining right. what's going on because there was not a lot of parts in the movie where I was like, "Well," or if there were parts like that, pretty much everything gets explained except yeah. for like one or two m- minor things, I guess. But yeah. like to have to explain everything like right at the very beginning is just like. I don't unnecessary I think it's for it's because studio executives think that audiences are dumb which <laughs> yeah let's uh, let's be honest like they are yeah a lot of them are and this movie didn't do well Not so that I we're guess, geniuses so yeah I mean for sure however this movie didn't do well yeah so maybe but it was released with the narration, so that didn't help. Yeah. So. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe they didn't dumb it down enough. But. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's stupid. So he explores his hotel room to find clues uh, as to who he is. Uh, we talked about the costume design. Mm-hmm. I just I love how subtle it is. It's not. I mean, it's obviously supposed to be of an era. Era, um, or at least what the the strangers think is of the era. But it wasn't like suit suits and you know like their little um, handkerchiefs in their pockets. And although there were a lot of people talking like they were from a bad gangster movie, mm-hmm. which I kind of loved uh, because that was something that was given to them uh, through the the syringes, the memories. Yeah. So we see a postcard for Shell Beach, which starts to bring back some memories. I will say because we'll, we find out that the doctor was trying to give him his memories and he woke up in the middle of the process and that's why he has no memories but i'm like he doesn't does he give memories to new people every day do the memories like run out so that might be a bit of a plot hole i don't know if the memories run out but i think they're constantly changing them yeah to kind of see how people react to each of the different memories yeah so it doesn't completely make sense that he has no memories, but there's a lot of things. Well, if they were in the middle of like implanting new ones, it's like if you put a flash drive into your computer and it's writing and you pull it out before it's done, everything gets wiped sometimes. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I like that. You're welcome, Alex Prius. <laughs> uh, and he gets a phone call from Dr. Daniel Schreiber, Schreiber um, saying that their people are coming, which is very much copied or parallel thinking in the matrix lifted yeah um where he's you know in uh, every everybody knows that scene from the matrix where he gets a call from morpheus but it's the same idea of like people are coming you need to leave um i don't know why i sounded like keanu when i said that but uh that was keanu it sounded uh, like samuel jackson kind of (laughs) (laughs) motherfucker uh and he finds the dead body with the cuts of spirals all over and he does leave but uh that's our first clue as to him being a murderer perhaps the dead body in the spirals kind of like a serial killer leaving their calling, calling card. card yeah which when you think about it too much you go okay they the strangers did it the strangers were the ones who put the body there the strangers were the ones who cut the cir- the spirals into them and the city is a spiral so why would is like it's like them giving clues to the people to figure out what's going on so <laughs> <laughs> he just made for those of you listening he just made this weird shrug face yeah <laughs> uh, i don't know that's when we first get introduced to the strangers uh they look very similar to nosferatu yes uh, tall slender pale ghostly white pallor bald 
bald, yeah, long yeah. like trench coat things. Um, like Billy Corgan in Ava Adore music video. If you like the Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. it's very similar. Um, everybody's passed out the clock when the clock strikes strikes midnight. Um, we find he finds out. Actually, no, he goes down to the lower level of the uh, the hotel, and he sees everybody passed out, and the clock is at midnight. Um, apparently, in the original cut, he doesn't check out the woman in the phone booth, and he opens the door, and she falls out. So you f- you first get the sense that they're all passed out, like un- like flat out unconscious. I thought they were dead. I like I thought yeah. the strangers had killed everybody. Yeah. Um, and then they wake up. So it, it wasn't as obvious that they were like in a coma, basically, that they couldn't wake up um, in the original cut. But he sees the uh, person working at the desk who, I guess, owns the place. And he says something about, uh, I don't even remember what he says exactly, but it gets repeated later by his replacement. Um, no days off for good behavior. Yeah. Or, yeah, no days off for good behavior. Yeah. Um, How's that for remembering the movie that's good i'm glad you remember because i'm glad it's not uh like uh, royal tenenbaums because we don't have tressa here today yeah. <laughs> to help us out uh did she watch the movie no she didn't okay she watched maybe like 10 or 15 minutes and she left the room <laughs> <laughs> well maybe she saw the the dead body and went yeah no thank you no i just i don't know yeah. you just should be like what the fuck are you watching like if yeah. it's something like overly violent or sexual or whatever graphic in any way but we like i started watching it kind of late too right but i remember it that's good and i've seen it twice so i better remember it i like how the uh the strangers make a like a clicking sound like very creepy yeah yeah uh the main predator mr hand i think his name is is richard o'brien do you know who that is (laughs) someone from rocky horror picture show not just he he played riffraff but he also was the guy who created rocky horror picture show oh i never knew that yeah i've never seen that movie uh, he wrote the book, the music, and the lyrics. So it's his Rocky Horror Picture Show. Wow, I didn't know that. So yeah, it's really cool to see him doing something else. And I really liked him in this movie. Because mm-hmm. he's very subtle in uh, Rocky Horror, which is his character. I mean, it's, it's I guess it's supposed to be a contrast between him and Frank Frankenfurter. Yeah, no, he. I thought he was really good. I liked him as the uh, antagonist of the movie. We also see uh, Bruce Spence. Uh, he's been in a lot of franchises, including Star Wars, Mad Max, Lord of the Rings, The Matrix. He was the uh, train man in the third Matrix movie. Oh. And the the train man who... Uh, train man. Who... Uh, near the beginning of Matrix Revolutions, and uh, he tells the, uh, the... I think they're the Indian family. It's like, come on, hurry, hurry. And he sees Neo and goes, oh, I know you. You're not supposed to be on here. The Mer- Merovingian doesn't want you on here. And he's like, I'm getting on that. I'm getting on that train. I don't know. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. And he punches him, and you're like, oh, Neo doesn't have any powers here. Yeah, and he's also in Chronicles of Narnia, Finding Nemo, and Ace Ventura. Hmm. So, and we see Jennifer Connelly singing, which reminds me a lot of uh, David Lynch. Yes, and Uh, she's not actually singing. That's not her singing. that's not her singing. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, One little quick thing. When I was watching it, Tressa was watching uh, that part. Uh, apparently the song that she's singing at the beginning, I think it's called Sway by Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. Apparently it's being used by a lot of people in fucking TikTok and Instagram reels for some reason. Really? Yeah, it's just people like 
swaying and dancing to it uh, like not dancing but like i don't swaying provocatively to it i don't know why that's weird i don't think i've seen any of those yeah because um, she she asked me while we were watching it like did you know about this and i was like no and she showed me and i was like okay what's the point <laughs> but i guess that's the question for social media in general what's the point yeah <laughs> with a lot of it for sure yeah which is why i don't do tiktok because i know you said it's different but in my head that's all it is it's just people like doing stupid fucking dances to stuff that's why i stay, stayed away from it for, for a while but mm-hmm. uh they do have some funny things on there but i know michael buble um sang that covered that song recently Not really? well, i say recently it's like 19 years ago but uh after this movie he covered it and i think that's the most famous version of it now so that's probably the version that they play on tiktok maybe so um jennifer connelly she's probably best known for labyrinth a beautiful mind where she won best supporting actress requiem for a dream and the rocketeer yes of her where she did she sing in that movie too or pretend to sing yeah i think she did yeah she like at the nightclub yeah Yeah. i I mean i love her she's gorgeous and she's like looks exactly the same as she did when she was like 18 years old like still she's ageless and she's beautiful and uh well, I mean, William Hurt is in this movie, and William Hurt plays a character in the MCU um, called uh, uh, General Thunderbolt Ross, who is father to um, Betty Ross, and Jennifer Connelly played Betty Ross in the Ang Lee Hulk. So. Oh, okay. There's your Marvel connection. There you go. Uh, Dr. Schreiber, I'm going to say Schreiber, I'm going to say Schreiber back and forth. Uh, Dr. Schreiber says uh, he's Emily's husband's doctor. Uh, there's a mod so she goes and visits him and there's a model of the city which is uh he says it's a crude experiment or something like that and it's also a big hint as to what's going on because it's like the rat in the maze and it's a spiral and it's what basically what the strangers are doing Mm -hmm. to uh to the humans almost at us we're not involved uh i I said her name was emma murdoch uh mr murdoch's name is john some shots not john john i didn't mean to say john with a french accent is john his name is john i saw a french movie this week so maybe that's why oh Um, now you're all fancy (laughs) i'm gonna start saying bonjour to people (laughs) bonjour uh you pretentious fuck (laughs) did you hear what he said about france people that one person is listening and france is like well i'm done no don't don't (laughs) click away um i know we love you france yes we do Viva la France. I guess that's how you say that. I'm going to cut that part out. Uh, <laughs> I noticed in this scene that some shots are a bit blurry. Like, not intentionally. Not intentionally? Yeah, like the focus puller was... Oh, like screwed up, off, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I guess we can explain what a focus puller is. Sure. You can do that. It's your area of expertise. Okay. Um, so... F- for a long time, I always wondered when I was a little kid, like, how do they, how is everything so sharp? Like, mm-hmm. there's, on modern cameras, like cinema cameras, uh, there is no autofocus. Um, so... You, you don't want there to be autofocus. No, either. you don't. But you have to understand, like, how incredibly hard the job of a focus pillar, or also known as, like, a first AC, mm-hmm. um, first assistant cameraman is. Um, so they're usually standing. You have a camera operator, so the person who has their eye to the eyepiece, like, moving the camera left, right, up, down, um, sometimes, you know, handheld, whatever. And you have a person usually 
um, if the camera's on some sort of support, so like a tripod or a dolly head or something, uh, usually there's a, a an assistant to the side of the camera operating the focus. So if you were focusing on something close up to the camera, and then you've seen this before, it's called the rack focus, where the focus in the same shot changes from like the foreground to the background. There's literally someone controlling the focus. So... You know, when the camera moves, things get closer to the camera. When they want to show emphasis on something specific in the shot, there's someone operating the focus. And it's an incredibly, incredibly hard job to do. And, you know, imagine doing something like Saving Private Ryan, where you have these long takes with of intense action, like the most intense action, and everything is in focus. I mean, they're definitely unsung heroes of film production so um focus puller basically someone who literally pulls the focus and makes sure everything's in focus in shots very hard job um they deserve a lot of credit so give it up for your first ACs. thank you i put a pause for applause yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so if you ever see like a picture or video of uh, somebody with measuring tape on a film set that's typically like the focus puller right yeah they're measuring the because on um, on lenses on the actual lenses um, distances are printed on them so um, they basically make marks as to okay in this shot i'm going to go from six feet to two feet to focus to infinity in the shot so they make little marks on it and pull it with a little uh wheelie Mm -hmm. a gear i mentioned deep focus too so deep focus is when everything's in focus at the same time as the name suggests and shallow focus is usually when you have like a close-up and just their eyes are in focus or maybe a little bit more but uh so yeah so i guess the shallow and deep is what's in focus Mm -hmm. um we see that uh, John is walking the streets. He's not entirely sure what uh, his first name is yet. He knows his first initial is J, and his last name is Murdoch. Uh, I noticed there's a, I think it's like a crane shot, where, and a crane shot is simply just a camera on a crane. So, uh, I think we explained that on uh, Once Upon a Time. Kind of. Well, there's also a jib shot where it's like a crane, but I don't think that's the one where a smaller version yeah it's a smaller version and a person isn't with the camera Mm -hmm. but a crane is when they are it's like what you've seen like like say austin powers three where they do that whole opening sequence of uh the fake austin powers movie and steven spielberg's up on the on a crane but it reminded me a lot of uh, a darker version of brazil there's a set that looked very similar to that terry gilliam's brazil not the the country and uh yeah he's like again the editing is very fast paced it's cutting with his movement uh and he's just kind of having a little bit of fun going trying to remember what his first name is like he calls himself he's like jake and joe and every mm-hmm. j name there is good evening mr murdoch is mr murdoch isn't it mr is it j something murdoch Jay Murdoch. What's your name? Justin? Jerry? No. My name's Jason Murdoch. John Murdoch. Jake Murdoch. How's it going? Hi, Jack Murdoch. <laughs> um, and we see a clock in the window of, uh, what was it, like a cleaners or something? It said, like, it'll be open at three. Yeah. 
and uh, there is one shot that's flipped. So you look at it and it says nine, but you can look and all the numbers are backwards. Oh, so, okay. uh, which is a fun little thing that uh, Roger Ebert pointed out. <laughs> but uh, uh, Rufus Swell, it's like Sewell, mm-hmm. Sewell. Uh, he's not in a lot of things. He's in a lot of things, but he's not like ever really the main guy. The only thing I can think of, he was in A Knight's Tale, right? He plays the bad knight? Probably. That makes sense. Uh, the thing I know him most from, which is weird, is the uh, 96 uh, Kenneth Branagh Hamlet. Oh, okay. He plays... Uh, I forgot the name of the character. He's, he comes in at the very end. So that's like really the only other thing I know him from. Go to IMDb. Yeah, I'm checking it right now. Yeah, he was in The Knight's Tale, The Illusionist, The Man in the High Castle, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, it's recent. He was in Gods of Egypt. He's Fortinbras in Hercules, Continuum. He's in uh, old M. Night Shyamalan's more recent movie. Okay. So, unfortunately, he's doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We get a dolly zoom on uh, William Hurt playing the accordion. And I love the close-up of the accordion. I think I remember that being a, a shallow focus shot. Mm-hmm. And there is something brought up by uh, Ebert that some of these people have only been their job since midnight or since the last midnight or just recently. And it also brings up this concept of, so like, you know, they're like maybe not even that good at being a detective. They just have memories of a detective. And how do those memories affect what a person is and that's there i mean we'll get into i guess that more more in detail oh, damn it. i had a i had a thought and i lost it but uh, oh just that con okay it was the concept of what if this is the first day earth has ever existed and the first day any of us have ever existed and every day before that we know happened we quote unquote know happened is just a memory in our brain isn't that called like next thursdayism or something like that something it's like see you next thursdayism or just (laughs) next thursdayism i'm gonna say it's next thursdayism because see you next thursday or next tuesday is something else yeah that's um explicit what you call it that's a an acronym no 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 (laughs) oh no (laughs) that's not what i meant i hope not john landis films he says that see you next thursday or something in oh. some of his movies but well i know he has see you next wednesday in there uh, we go. See, wednesday um american werewolf in london mm-hmm. yeah it's the adult movie uh william hurt this uh, he's been in a lot of movies and he recently passed which is sad because i like him as an actor uh, we're talking about william hurt yeah uh he was in like body heat which is also another noir movie the big chill which i think is overrated uh, i don't know have you ever seen the big chill is that with Elliot Gould? No, that's... Uh, the Big the, Sleep, maybe. <laughs> the, that's The Long Goodbye. Um, <laughs> no, I The Big Chill is, is... When you watch The Big Chill, you go, Oh, I see where the inspiration for 10 years came from. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. got Jeff Goldblum. It's got Kevin Kline. Uh, it's just... Uh, like, one of their friends died recently. And so they all came together. And they just talk the whole time. And they all respond to the death differently it's got a lot of cons a great concept to it but i was just i've only seen half of it because uh i needed to stop watching to like go to bed or something and then i just <laughs> never finished it because it left criterion channel soon after okay so i guess i need to finish it because i hate watching part of a movie and not finishing it whether i hate it or not um 
but yeah, I was just I'm just watching it going, this is boring. <laughs> this is so boring. Uh, so I obviously missed the point of that movie. Uh, he's also an AI, a history of violence, another Cronenberg movie. Mm-hmm. He's good in that. Yeah. And like I said, he was in the MCU as Thunderbolt Ross. Uh, we're back to the hotel. The hotel owner is a different guy this time, but he's talking as if he was the original hotel owner. He's like, yeah, I told him this, whatever he said, the uh, three weeks, three weeks thing. Um, William Hurt is inste- Inspector Bumstead, but I keep calling him Frank in my notes. So that's what I'm talking about. He's Frank Bumstead. Uh, they talk like an old noir. I already mentioned that. And he mentions the untied shoe of the person, which comes back later. I don't know if there's any kind of like symbolism. Deeper meaning to yeah. that. Yeah. Or if it's just a fun little thing where he notices the untied shoe and then his, un- his shoe is untied later. Um, we go back to Murdoch and he's looking at his fingerprint and it's a spiral. And it's like, okay, were these people manufactured? Uh, but that's not what the doctor says later, but then the doctor's own memories are a little, uh, unreliable, uh, but we'll get to that. He's at the, uh, the automat, uh, which looks a lot like an Edward Hopper, Harper, uh, painting like the, uh, the classic one of the diner from the outside. Mm-hmm. It's obviously one of the big influences and it's really only the only brightly lit set because the other one is an exterior, but yeah, it's like that. And there's like another one. But it's also a diner. That's pretty well lit. Coffee's only six cents, and I guess he left his wallet there before. So that was that was the, also the weird thing. It's like the guy is putting all the food in the different things. And he puts his wallet in the one, but he doesn't like give it to him. He doesn't unlock it. Yeah, he like just makes him have to pay for it. But he has his wallet, so he can't pay for it. Yeah, and that's when you first see that he has some sort of telepathy. Mm-hmm. And later I, find out it's like telekinesis. Yeah, t- telekinesis, yeah. yeah. Um, Telepa- telepathy is something different. Yeah, he. Uh, it's called tuning in the movie, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hear a lot about there being a killer out there. So uh, when he goes to leave with his wallet, the cops stop him and start asking him a bunch of questions, um, which makes a little more sense in the context that there is a killer out there. Maybe they've heard or they think they've heard um, descriptions of the killer. And that's why they're like suspecting him. But then May comes and saves them, which she's a, a hooker. So maybe that was part of the plan was for them to was for her to want to save him and put him in the right spot at the right time. That's why his wallet was there. So that way he would kill mm-hmm. her. I have written down in all caps. There's no way out. Oh, because we meet uh, detect. But it says something about the hookers. So there's six hookers have been killed so far. There's no way out. And then we find out Detective Walensky is nuts because, like, he remembers before. He knows, like, about the strangers. He knows about the spirals. And no one's taking him seriously. They just yeah. assume that he's crazy. Well, yeah, because he's going about it like a crazy person, screaming like a madman. Mm-hmm. Emma shows up asking for uh, Detective Bumstead, saying, my husband's been missing for days. And he's like, okay, well, then tell the front desk. And they're like, they sent me to you because it's John Murdoch, who I guess they know is the killer, or suspect at least is the killer. Um, she says that she's been married to him for four years, but he she's playing with her ring as if she's never worn it before, which is also another hint as to what's going on. Uh, a bit of foreshadowing, which I thought was a nice little thing, even though 
he really like points it out that she's uncomfortable yeah he's very presumptuous with what he's saying like yeah. uh it looks like you've never worn that ring before in your life mm-hmm. you feel uncomfortable with it like what she could just be nervous and she's fidgeting that seems like yeah you know a little too on the nose yeah but I like yeah if it were a little more subtle if like he just gave it a look and just like didn't pay any mind and then maybe later brought it up it mm-hmm. would have been better uh we go to may's apartment we uh where he he's looking through his wallet he finds the pictures a uh, picture of uh emma and uh we it confirms that may is a, a prostitute and uh that she has a daughter and in the original cut they cut her out mm-hmm. but what's cool is it's kind of a contrast between a normal kid and that weird stranger kid who's like the creepiest fucking thing in the movie yeah um but john quickly leaves once he sees the kid i don't, I don't know if i have it written down but he says later that he wanted to see if he can he would actually be able to kill mm-hmm. so like he's not if sure he could if it's act him. on the urges yeah and he didn't and whether or not that's because he's not actually a killer or because he didn't have the memories we won't, we won't know um he finds the shell beach postcard and uh there's the billboard that he's he's hanging on um shell beach was created possibly as a memory to give people hope so that there were not just you know a bunch of depressed people they have these memories of shell beach these wonderful memories and oh yeah it's just down the the wait where is it and like like they think they know where it is but then when they really think about it and that's they with a lot of yeah. memories yeah um yeah he finds a bunch of news clippings of the of the murderer in his pocket and then the strangers arrive and they can't make him sleep uh one of them falls through the boards which is mr hand because uh, it's tough when you're when you first watch it to know who's doing what and yeah. where it's like it, i think it has something to do with the cutting too like the way that that quote-unquote action scene is cut yeah it's very um you don't know who's what or what's going on really yeah and so he uses he sees the mr hand fall through and so he starts using tuning to uh get rid of the boards underneath the others the other strangers and uh then you start seeing them fly and that's probably my biggest complaint of the movie is sometimes that's your biggest complaint (laughs) okay well i was gonna say some of the stuff especially when they fly looks kind of laughably bad Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, now i'm anticipating a a a piece of shit uh rant about this movie um but yeah, some of the looks weird. The CGI squid, the the, the effects in this movie were definitely before the Matrix because the Matrix elevated. But also think of like the budget of the Matrix is probably like that's a good question. At least ten or fifteen million dollars more at the very least, if not double what they had for this movie because yeah. they had was it Fox, Twenty Century Fox who did the Matrix? Who no, no Warner, Warner Brothers? Warner Brothers. Brothers. Yeah, much bigger than New Line. Well, yeah, New Line is like kind of a, a sub, mm-hmm. um, it's a division of Warner Brothers. Oh, At least really? now, I don't know. If it uh, was then. Yeah, I don't know when they bought them. I know that, uh, I'm sure Lord of the Rings definitely helped out with their their success. Yeah, $63 million was the uh, estimated uh, budget of The Matrix. And The Matrix on opening weekend made more in the u.s than dark city made and this entire, in worldwide yeah 
oh at 27.7 million. That's sad. That's just sad. Um, yeah, so we see the strangers. They meet. Uh, oh, yeah, somebody dies. No more Mr. Quick. Uh, like the hand from the billboard comes down and like chops off the top of his head. And so mm-hmm. that's when we see the weird eel gel squid. Yeah. Thing, which I was just like, Oh, that looks weird. Uh, it's, it's not very good, but yeah, again, smaller budget, much mm-hmm. smaller budget. Uh, and the matrix also doesn't use too much CGI. They use a lot of camera tricks, but, um, there's kind of something similar with the, the squid Squids. that goes yeah. into his belly button. Yeah, true. And then, um, and then obviously everything like in the quote unquote real world with all yeah. the electric sentinels or whatever they're called. Yeah. I think if they tried to make it look a little more biological and a little less like, I don't know, synthetic, mm-hmm. then, uh, it probably would have helped. But I mean, what these are, gonna, are what are you gonna do these are things in the movie that i i'm able to look past yeah yeah I, I, it's one of those things where you just go yeah it's of the, the time mm-hmm. so if you watch the original version of star wars there's a lot of flaws in there yeah some of the like newer the stuff entire movie <laughs> just kidding <laughs> i don't hate star wars as much as i except for star wars episode one i oh, sure you hate can, that movie. you can hate all three prequels you can hate all all three sequels if you want <laughs> You can hate Return of the Jedi. I can understand people not liking Return of the Jedi. I love it. It's my favorite one. But, uh, yeah. One of these days, I'll watch all all of them again. One of these days, well, maybe we'll talk about them. Sure. So the doctor works with them, uh, but hasn't reported in. The doctor works with the, the strangers. Uh, and they feel sadness for loss of one of their own kind. They're like, no more Mr. Quick. But they actually seem sad. But this one was different, yes. What has the doctor to say about this? He has failed to report in. And Mr. Quick? No more, Mr. Quick. Mr. Quick, dead. Yes. Poor, poor Mr. Quick. Even though they have a collective mind. Hive they're, brain. They're, yeah, they're hive mind. Um, and the whole point is they're looking for the human soul, which makes humans unique from what they are. So that's a little weird that they feel sympathy or empathy or both. Sympathy, probably. Yeah. Uh, Emma's back at home, and John's there in the in the dark with his cigarette lighting up a little bit of the uh, of his face, similar to uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, where he's out in the in the distance. I think every film noir has to have something similar. A scene where like someone's in the dark and like uh, either a cigarette is half illuminating their face or a lighter is illuminating their face as they're lighting up a cigarette. It's like an absolute must. I kind of did the same thing in uh, my thesis. There you go. Yeah. Uh, So obviously I was a fan even back then. Uh, Rufus. Were you inspired by that? Uh, Not that specifically, but I did. I I knew of the whole idea of the noir type cinematography. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring a lot of that into my, uh, my thesis film. Again, I did it about Walt Disney uh, creating Mickey Mouse. So I ended up having to play the main, the, the guy who owned oswald the lucky rabbit or said he owned um because the actor didn't show up like last minute was like oh sorry i can't come today so i was like okay, i cool. didn't know he he's he bailed on you last minute yeah so you put on your big boy pants and you got in there and you fucking did it man i ran home and shaved most of my uh facial hair off except for my mustache and uh yeah i went in there and lit up a cigar and yeah and then you were in the shadows it was nicely shot oh thank you i mean Rigo. Yeah, Rigo. Uh, yeah, I could probably talk about that, the whole experience. 
on its own pot on its own episode um so rufus's accent kind of slips out a little bit in this scene i've noticed i think he's english or something or he's he's definitely not american yeah unless i'm way off he's either australian or english he's english yeah yeah so yeah his his accent slips out a little bit in this scene um and he had the keys to the apartment so he that's why he knew to go there uh we find out that emma had an affair or at least that's what her memory is um and he wanted to again i mentioned this before he wanted to see if uh if he had it in him to kill and obviously he didn't um about the acting this is something roger ebert brought up the acting is a little muted because people are just reacting based on memories and not people who have their have been there who have been themselves in all their lives so do you want to say that quote again (laughs) it's not even a quote it's me trying to uh, paraphrase what Uh, he said got it uh so i'll do it better now basically the reason they are muted in their acting is because they're basing their reactions off of memories instead of actually have experienced those things okay so there's a little bit of there's something missing from from the performance on purpose is, is what i'm trying to say got it and we see that inspector frank was waiting outside because maybe he's uh, roger ebert said he's not a very good detective but i think he's actually kind of a great detective <laughs> because he's noticing all these things um and he's also figuring out that maybe my former partner whatever isn't so crazy and once you start he starts talking to john murdoch then he starts going okay there's obviously something up here so instead of just judging somebody i'm going to uh really listen and see what what's going on uh i do like when uh emma stops him from chasing after john and he goes no one ever listens to me wait you have the wrong man stand aside with you please i didn't kill anyone right now while you are as a suspect turn yourself in i'll listen to whatever you have to say you're not gonna believe what i have to say try me there's someone after me there's this this group of men they want me dead and i don't even know if I, they're not even yeah who's gonna listen to a madman stand aside mrs murdoch no one ever listens to me. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, he's chasing him down the staircase, and there's two different shots. One that's like above the staircase, looking down, and one that's from the bottom, looking up. And both times, you can see the staircase is very spiraled. Hmm. So it's another spiral in the movie. There you go. Um, and he tunes a door with his own mind, mm-hmm. Murdoch. And uh, the inspector, meaning he makes a door appear, yeah, out of nowhere into like a functional door, yeah. And so, and I didn't notice, but he he wasn't looking at it when he created it. So he's just probably thinking, "I need a door." And a door forms. He turn around. Oh, there is a door here. Okay, I never noticed that he wasn't looking at it. Yeah, because until I think when he's being interrogated and he lifts and he's making the, the little book thing mm-hmm. float i don't think it's until then he really goes oh i can actually control, control. this because um, most of from that point is accident uh, the inspector finds the doctor's car i guess um and frank uh, frank john goes into the the cab a cab and sees a shell beach snow globe and he asked the the driver oh how do i get there and he's like oh yeah you go over, wait no 
no. And so that's when you first start noticing that people don't have the memory of how to get there, but they do have the memory of Shell Beach. Because mm-hmm. he said, like, me and the missus had our honeymoon there last night. Or last, last more, night, huh? Yeah, last night. Uh, pay no attention to me. But okay. uh, <laughs> uh, I do like how everybody except for the leads do talk about talk like bad gangsters, like they're from a bad gangster movie. Yeah. I am so tongue-tied today. I'm tired, I guess. Uh, they, the inspector meets with the doctor. Uh, I noticed that the cars sounded a little weird, too. When one of them took off, it sounded almost sci-fi-like. It was like very subtle though. Uh, there, there was one. And this could be the same thing that you're talking about, but no, it was when the train goes by. Mm-hmm. There's like a train that goes by, and at the very end of the train, like passing, <laughs> like the end of the shot or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's like someone. I don't know why dubbed in the side of the sound of a cat meowing. <laughs> like hopefully you can find it but it's like when he's looking at the train and it the train is leaving the station and it like goes by the camera at the very end you hear like, <laughs> it's like it's really funny and i was like that's really bizarre yeah uh i noticed that somebody crosses or he crosses the invisible line which is something we can talk about too it's usually if you have a scene with two different people talking to each other they create this invisible line and you're never supposed to cross that line. It's easier to like show on Don't like tell. <laughs> show as an example. Uh, but you're never supposed to cross that invisible line. So you usually, if you have two people facing each other, the person on the left, you shoot over their right shoulder to talk, to show the face of the person on the right and vice versa. Uh, but if you cross the line, it tends to throw people off. Uh, Cause and what would crossing the line be? Uh, so you sh- so when you don't cross the line, the person on the left is pretty much always on the left side of the frame. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just their shoulder, they're always on the left side of the frame. And the person on the right is always on the right side of the frame. Crossing the line would mean you, in a, in a cut, you flip that. So you can cross the line with camera movement because the person is watching it happen. But if you just cut from bumsteads on the left and the doctors on the right to the doctors on the left and bumsteads on the right that might throw somebody off it's disorienting but sometimes uh directors use that to give kind of a disorienting feel about like not being you know not knowing where you are or the characters themselves being disoriented it can be used to help the story but sometimes it's just bad editing like sometimes it'll get put in there and just be bad editing I wouldn't say it was bad editing, but the very first time, first cut in The Godfather is yeah, they're crossing the line because yeah. uh, it starts yeah, it starts with the the one like very, basically very over the shoulder, slow push in yeah, and, then, and he gets up and he walks in front of the camera, and then they show the re- reverse basically. Okay. So basically, it's like a hundred and eighty degree line yeah. in the shot that you're not supposed to cross. So if you think of it that way, if you're looking at a frame and you're free to move the camera like 180 degrees around that, but if you go further than 180 degrees, it can be jarring. Yeah. In in the cutting of in the, the cutting shot. of the shot. In the movement, you can do whatever you want because there is a shot later where he's in the phone booth and it does this like like spin around it, almost almost kind of matrix like, which is a, a dolly shot. We've already talked about that. There you go. I think the doctor... So the doctor starts talking to the inspector in uh, Bumstead, and he starts... He's 
starts saying things to him that only the, the inspector should know, like, you live a lonely life and all that stuff, which shows that the doctor is the one who put the memories there, so he knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then Murdoch follows the doctor. He's in this heated pool, which is a circle, which is another motif I've noticed, circles, because I'm guessing because the whole city is a big circle, big disc. Uh, it's a really cool-looking set with the uh, the uh, the heated pools, the steam's coming up, and Mr. Hand shows up, and he starts interrogating him. You see Schreiber, Schreiber swimming to the center of the pool, kind of like It Follows, your favorite movie. Uh, <laughs> Yes. I literally don't remember anything about that movie, just how, how much I hated it. Yeah, this is the last scene where they're trying to get the thing that, like, the the creature, whatever it's called, it. Uh, they're trying to get him into the pool, and they're going to kick a bunch of, like, toasters into the pool to electrocute it to death somehow. And instead, the creature starts kicking toasters into the pool <laughs> when she's in there. God. <laughs> Critically acclaimed, it follows. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. It sucks. Uh, set, set design inside the pool. Very cool. Nice shots. Yeah. Um, it's a circle. And uh, Mr. Hand threatens the doctor. circle. The circle. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to cut this part out. I'll just make a compilation of me saying I'm going to cut things out of this episode. Yeah. Um, Mr. Hand. Uh, but Mr. Hand does threaten the doctor uh, because it was his failing that was the reason for Murdoch not have Murdoch having the ability to tune and to get away to not be um, affected by their powers to make people sleep. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He's not affected by it, or at least not at that point. Yeah, we go to uh, Wolinsky's apartment. His wife, of course, is very upset. It's so much. It's it's a common trope in detective stories and noirs. Where there's you know the one cop who's figured out the, the the whole situation and the the wife of that person's like oh my gosh she's like I'm, I'm so so she calls the friend and the friend being Frank <laughs> he's gone I wrote down he's gone full Pepe Sylvia I don't know if you've ever watched uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia no I've never watched it there's a scene where uh, Charlie goes crazy and he's got like you've probably seen the meme before where the wall's covered in paper and oh yeah and tax and uh, yeah. Yeah, so it's like that sort of thing. Uh, that's again where he says, "There's no way out." Uh, and he says, "You're you're upsetting your wife." And he goes, "That's not my. She's not my wife," uh, which is probably true. True. I've been looking through some of your old reports. It's an interesting case. Kind of make a man's career or break it. Yeah, I was on that case. And then what? What happened then, Eddie? Well, nothing happened, Frank. I've just been spending time in the subway, riding in circles, thinking in circles. There's no way out. I've been over every inch of this city. You're scaring your wife to death, Eddie. She's not my wife. I don't know who she is. I don't know who any of us are. What makes you say that? You think about the past much, Frank? How much is the next guy? See, I've been trying to remember things. Clearly remember things from my past. But the more I try to think back, the more it all starts to unravel. None of it seems real. It's like I've just been dreaming this life 
And when I finally wake up, I'll be somebody else. Somebody totally different. And he's talking about having trouble remembering his past. And we get the first hint of having multiple lives and people moving around. I say, I put down the first hint, but the second, the first hint was really the, uh, the hotel clerk owner being a different person remembering the other thing. And he says, it's all a big joke. And we go back to the doctor and Murdoch and another door for, Oh, so he's still following, uh, uh, the doctor, the doctor and a door forms. Um, I don't know if there's any significance to that other than the door forms. So I guess nobody can accidentally go down into the realm of the strangers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. That's stupid that I brought that up. <laughs> I'm going to cut that. I'm not going to cut that. I'll leave it in. Because I got to look stupid every once in a while. Uh, well, we see inside the uh, the strangers uh, realm and it's very industrial. It's very much like that music video. It's like the real world in the matrix. It's something like, H.R. Giger came up with, or Jeff Darrow, who was the concept uh, artist for The Matrix, who came up with what the inside of Nebuchadnezzar would look like and all that stuff. So it's very much his his style, too. And there you see that they're making documents and artifacts. Uh, and this movie can be an allegory for filmmaking, if you want it to be. Uh, you know, because they're like set designing, and they're moving around actors, and they're you know making props and uh, they're pretty creative i guess but i don't know it's there that's if you, pretty it, that's pretty good i haven't heard anything like that so there's plenty of uh, quote-unquote evidence to back that up so yeah. it's not too far-fetched for sure uh and then we see the doctor making the memories and the different vials and for the syringes uh mr book asks why murdoch doesn't sleep and uh Schreiber uh, rattles off exposition. Why does Murdoch not sleep during the tuning as the others do? I don't know. Maybe he's a step up the evolutionary ladder. A a freak of nature. He's adapting to survive. What do you expect? Weren't you looking for the human soul? That's the purpose of your little zoo, isn't it? That's why you keep changing people and things around every night. Maybe you have finally found what you are looking for, and it's going to bite you on your... It requires several of your lifetimes to master our gifts. The idea that a simple man could develop the ability to tune. It's absurd, I know, but what other explanation is there? So he's implying, he's also kind of making excuses because he does want this to happen. He does want somebody who can defeat the strangers, as we find out later. And that's when they start doing the actual, like, you see what they are doing behind the scenes every night at midnight uh, and then they say it's time they shut it down or they say they sh- say shut it down so it hits midnight even though it kind of seems like it's always midnight uh, anytime you see a clock it's showing midnight or close to it yeah the tuning of the hands uh, the clock are another spiral because then like they spin I guess I don't know I'm looking for spirals from where maybe where they aren't there we see a theater that's that is playing a movie called the evil uh one question i had about the whole timing thing so we find out at midnight the whole city gets moved around people places everything gets changed i was trying to see how long it like lasts for like how long is the town asleep for yeah it looks like it's just like a minute right or it implies that it's not that long 
even though they're moving people around and the doctor is always with them. So is he putting in memories with a person, like every single person in the city, every single midnight? Yeah. Cause that's because that's everybody changing every midnight. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's like Santa Claus yeah. <laughs> every Christmas Eve. Yeah. That's, so I don't think there's any way that it's actually just a minute, but maybe it's like time freezes for a little bit. Well, all the clocks definitely stop, but, uh, but the people wake up at, it looks like 1201 or something like yeah. they wake up at 1201. So I don't know. The well, clocks just stop you, you until see, they're done. One of the shots, you see a clock and it hits midnight with the second hand too. And it stops. So I think you actually see a second hand stop implying heavily implying that time itself it stops. So, but who knows? Uh, Murdoch is the only one awake and he starts freaking out when it's really creepy that idea of just him walking around just everybody like kind of like the, the one part of vanilla skies that i've seen where it's empty but this is the people everywhere and he's just like freaking out going wake up and yeah that that'd be terrifying i think no one's responding yeah it's like a nightmare uh it's a, the city itself changes like physically physically buildings like start rising out of the ground it reminded me of the opening credits of uh, game of thrones oh yeah <laughs> with the the whole uh the map and mm-hmm. yeah so it reminded me a lot of that they they move bodies around and inject them with memories uh, there are creepy sounds and music playing and the uh, uh the the syringes are like drills mm-hmm. too so they get a, like a really extreme close-up of like a drill and starts like and burrowing into someone's forehead yeah so that's why i mean obviously they should be bleeding because it's a pretty big syringe, but just that idea of it just drilling into your head, it's super creepy. And, uh, and then Murdoch finally confronts Schreiber and you find, and he sh- really shows his powers that, uh, he can like knock him down or knocks him like across the, the, yeah, yeah. the hallway or it's like an alley or something. Yeah. Something like that. And, uh, that's when we find, uh, find out that the doctor does want to stop the strangers and take back the city. And uh, they unfreeze, they, they wake everybody up, or unfreeze time, whichever's really happening. And the poor couple is now rich, and, and their conversation about, like, well, they better give me a promotion turns into, like, I'm going to fire this person mm-hmm. because, you know, we see. One really quick, I have notes about that, but that scene when the couple is, like, quote unquote poor and they're mm-hmm. talking that's like some of the worst acting i've ever seen in my life and i'm maybe it's intentional but it was just like oh my god like and it looks like their words aren't matching like what they're actually oh, yeah. saying like the dialogue isn't matching what they're actually saying it's driving me crazy i can't sleep and they call my job unskilled you think you've got it tough you try looking after these kids for a change anyways Fredrickson says he'll take me off the damn night shift soon well it's about time dear I don't know. Did you notice that? How bad the acting was? Well, I just I just thought of it kind of in the same sense that the characters were talking like they're in a gangster movie. Oh. So. I, yeah, but I was like, I wasn't... It wasn't distracting for me. It wasn't... Nothing else was as distracting as this moment between these two people. I was like, what the fuck? Is there a reason for this? Like, for a reason for it to be this bad? But <laughs> maybe. Maybe I not. not. I mean, we can't all hire you know the greats to be in the background for all these characters like paul thomas anderson yeah and then we see the coffee the inspector's coffee and it's it's a spiral spiral and spinning which they just basically just stirred the coffee (laughs) Uh, and there's your movie trick of the week yeah 
to make your coffee appear to be spinning, <laughs> stir it. Especially if your movie is full with spiral motifs. Yeah. Uh, Emma's singing again at the nightclub. This time she's singing a very obvious metaphor for the movie, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Oh my god. <laughs> Originally sung by Bobby V in 1962. Yeah. Okay. The other song was like from the 50s originally um yeah it's an obvious reference to what's going on with the the strangers they have a thousand eyes because there's a lot of them you get it <laughs> and each one has two and they're watching us yes i get it. the whole movie takes place at night so very good um murdoch is in peating the pale men i put pale men for it until i found out that they're called the strangers impeding the strangers experiments so they implant themselves with his memories that was supposed to go to him um Although he says 2.0, so it might be a different one slightly. Like, it was the one he was supposed to get where he was the murderer, where the whole thing happened with Emma. Uh, he has the memory of his past where his house burned down when he was a kid and his parents died in the, the fire, um, which takes place on Shell Beach. Did you notice um, when he's getting injected... Um, there's a very obvious reference to the Vitruvian Man by Da Vinci. Yes, that's yeah. what I meant to bring up. Yeah, he's on the, uh, he's on like this strapped onto whatever big like, circle. Yeah, again circles. Uh, but yeah, I actually have that written down, like Leonardo da Vinci's drawing of the Vitruvian Man. Yeah, yeah. So very, uh, very obvious. <laughs> the, the metaphors I say are obvious, but this isn't like that's not a metaphor. It's just like a I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, like a mm. call out or something. Yeah, what would that be called? It's probably super obvious. The it's not an analogy because illusion. Yeah, illusion kind of not illusion, but illusion. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, <laughs> the new memories of Murdoch show that he was. I already said that. Uh, then he Murdoch himself uh, figures out that Carl Harris is his uncle. He remembers that because uh, the. I forget what he sees. Maybe something in his pocket. He's like a briefcase. Yeah, the briefcase he sees. Um, isn't it like a postcard or something? Yeah, something by like yeah. Carl Harris. We're going to go fishing. And... Yeah. Yeah. That's when he goes to look through the phone book and the uh, camera's dolling around the, the, the phone booth, which I thought was a really cool shot. Just kind of a low angle. Uh, and then he goes and asks the person working at the newsstand who is the old hotel owner. Mm -hmm. So that's when he kind of has his first like memory. And he asks him like, Hey, you've been working here long. And then he mentions the same thing he told them before about no time off for good behavior. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. You tell me the way to Avenue C. Try the subway. You got a problem, pal? You, uh, been working here long 25 years no days off for good behavior and uh but yeah i was, I was saying is he uh he was able to actually go oh yeah i remember this happening even though it was like last night mm-hmm. but you know he actually has memories now and even though they're recent um <laughs> we see the uh, i almost said the searchers the the uh strangers strangers thank you search for john that's when we see the creepy little kid Mr. Sleep is his name. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) And I point out that uh, Richard O'Brien is really good, especially after he gets the memories. I like when he's getting the memories and he starts like having like little twitches in his face and they like smiles. Anytime he smiles, it's like really creepy. Yeah. Um, 
especially in that transition shot in the 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 morphine shot in in the uh, the memory where it's Murdoch looking at himself in the mirror and then it morphs into Mr. Hand. Murdoch uh, spent some time trying to get to Shell Beach through the trains because he sees that the one of the lines will take him there. I think he sees the green line will take him there. So he gets on the green line and they're like, oh, you got to get off. This is the end of the line. Gotta take the express. Yeah, and then the express just flies right by because it's the express. And it makes a meow of the cat. It, uh, that's the that's, meow. That's okay. the meow. That's where Murdoch meets. Hopefully Gaddy will put in the clip. I, hopefully I find it. Hopefully I'm able to find a version of the movie that I'm able to edit through to add clips. Hopefully. Uh, that's where he meets Walensky and uh, he's still crazy. And, uh, or is he, is he just sane? He's the, the only, only sane, sane person in a crazy world, or the only crazy person in a sane world. Yeah. And uh, we find out that they're swapping memories between each other. So it's like, okay, this person's John John Murdoch tonight. Yeah, well, let's make this person John Murdoch the murderer tonight. And let's make this person John Murdoch the murderer. And they're like swapping around between uh, different people. Later, uh, Emma becomes Anna. But we'll get to that. Yeah, so then Walensky's like, well, there's one thing they can't control. And he jumps in front of the train, which is very much like the Matrix where they fight. And uh, Neo jumps out of the way and Mr. Smith gets hit by the train. But he doesn't get, he doesn't survive. Oh, of course he doesn't survive. <laughs> not, not like in the Matrix. Yeah, he doesn't flip out of the way. Yeah, no, no nothing cool like that. But uh, it's, see, Ebert mentioned that he he's the first time we see somebody actually get killed like on screen like didn't we see you don't well first of all you don't even see him yeah. get killed he just but yeah um he sees him he reacts as if he sees him get killed because, oh, yeah. you know, of course but uh yeah i don't know okay <laughs> mr hand comes up with the idea of why don't we go to emma and we can find john that way similar to how uh bumstead uh, found John. Uh, Mr. Hand begins to explain the motivation of uh, the strangers to Emma. So I, I do like how every once in a while we'll get a scene of exposition and it's not like the full-on exposition. This is what's happening. This is how you do it. The Matrix does that even though I've, or Inception does that. But I feel like with Inception they do a lot of exposition every time they give out. I feel like with this they give out a little bit of what we've already known with something new he talks about how they're a hive mind and so they have no thoughts of their own uh they discovered humans and became envious of their individuality or more specifically their souls which is the reason for what they're doing because it's the overall goal to become more human yeah to have souls of their own to understand what a soul is so they can try to become individuals uh, absorb them and yeah pay no attention to the fact that i spilled on myself And we also find out that they're dying. Like, it gets mentioned that they're Mm -hmm, dying. mm -hmm. I don't understand how they're dying. They don't really explain. They just say, like, they're on the verge. Yeah. Which is interesting. Uh, Mr. Hand starts talking to her, Emma, uh, interrogating her using the memories that they both share. Um, But then he just leaves. (laughs) And then we go to uh, Neptune's Kingdom. There's a I already mentioned there's a fish motif going on with the movie, at least with a, a couple scenes. And he's looking for Carl. Uh, I love how the uh, close sign flips to open when he punches the glass. I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Inside the booth? Yeah, so you have the, like, the ticket booth, and it yeah. has a close sign, and he punches the glass 
to uh, to break it and the clothesline flips to open. So I was like, is that on purpose or was that just a happy accident? That would be quite a happy accident. Yeah. And uh, Emma goes to May to maybe, f- and it's also like, how did she know to go to May? Like, did she know about her? Or was it implied? Did she find out that maybe he was going this way? But uh, she goes to May's apartment and she's dead just like the body from the beginning of the movie she's been killed by the strangers and uh they cut carved the spirals onto her as well Mm -hmm. to frame murdoch and then there's a difference in the director's cut and the original cut in that scene because apparently in the director's cut you see that her daughter is like under the bed hiding right Uh and uh and she has drawn a picture of the strangers yeah. killing. There's like three of them, and it's like a very cool, like kids' drawing of like them <laughs> holding like a knife, but it looks like a piece of glass or something. And then the drawing of her mom, like very sad, getting killed by these things, and she's hiding under the bed. And then they discover her and yeah. rescue her, and never hear from her again. <laughs> well, I mean, she was cut from the original yeah. version altogether. So yeah, I like that they uh, they kept her. So we find out Carl Harris is Uncle Carl, and there are pictures of young John. Uh, he apparently grew up in Shell Beach. It's actually daylight, and he says how bright it is. He mentions it's like so bright, and the pictures of him have a where he, he has a scar mm-hmm, in the pictures on in the slides, and that's when he looks at his actual arm, and there's no scar there. So he freaks out. He realizes it's all a lie. His pictures are all lies. So Frank Bumstead mentions the accordion well actually emma mentions the accordion and he uh, says i got it from my mother who passed recently so that's why he looks a little melancholy at the beginning playing the accordion and then he goes yeah i don't remember her giving it to me like he doesn't have the memory of how he got it because and he comments on that being strange that he can't remember like when it was given to him it's beautiful it was a gift from my mother she died recently. I keep it with me to remind me of her. I'm sorry. It's a funny thing, though. I can't remember when she gave it to me. How do you think I could forget a thing like that? Do you think about the past much, Mrs. Murdoch? happening inspector i'm not sure i know anymore and there's also a similar scene where around that time where john asks carl when do you remember it being daytime Mm -hmm. last like yesterday like a week ago not like a distant memory like a recent memory of it being daytime and he can't remember uh that's when he sees the clock and it's already mid it's almost uh midnight again he's like am or pm he's like what do you mean Obviously, it's almost a.m., and that's when he asks him, and he finds the uh, guide to Shell Beach when it's blank at first. Uh, By guide, you mean his little, his book, his little yeah. children's, like, book that he made about Shell Beach. Yeah, with little Elmer's glue shells to yeah. it, and inside, it, it's, yeah, it's obviously made by a kid, and inside it's completely blank. And then uh, Carl calls Emma, saying... Uh, you know, oh, he's here, as if they've known each other forever. But those two people probably have never met before. Actually, never met before. They just remember meeting. 
And uh, so Emma and Frank heading over to Uncle Carl's and Mr. Hand was watching. So he knows there's a lot of uh, going to people to follow those people to get to the person you're trying to get to in this movie. Oh, <laughs> that's Mr. Hand goes, oh, Uncle Carl, I haven't seen you in so long. Yes. And then he just floats away. And I, <laughs> it's probably the, one of the most laughably weird bad nonsensical moments, moments. Yeah. <laughs> uncle carl johnny if you're in some kind of trouble well, maybe we can do something haven't seen you in so long yes uh that's funny yeah put that clip in well i mean you can hear it but it won't be able, it, it won't do it just it won't do it just as him floating through the ceiling right yeah yeah uh, uh, everyone sleeps again. The stairs grow. When the stairs are growing and they're all uneven, it definitely looks like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Caligari. It's right there, written on the thing. The rooftop set they're chasing. We'll, we'll talk about that in uh, trivia. And uh, Mr. Han confirms that they, uh, they, they built the city in order to experiment on humans to become more like them. And they use the dead as their vessels, mm-hmm. which is why they look pale and gross. And uh, dead dying yeah and apparently they never well no, there were there were some women in the in the ranks i think the one who said something about uh the one who died and she's like poor mr whatever oh yeah one of the uh the strangers looked like michael sheen and i looked it up and he's not credited he's in this movie credited. so and he was known enough to have gotten a credit at that time so who knows oh and then so two of the buildings start about to they're about to collide and they had to jump inside the 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 room but one of the strangers doesn't make it, so he gets smashed, and there's like a bunch of black blood mm-hmm. that sprays. He gets smushed. Squished. Uh, we see the creepy little kid again bite John's hand, and uh, he, he's able to jump to a like a chimney that's growing, mm-hmm. which is pretty. It's an it's an interesting and un- unique chase scene because the everything is growing around him. The buildings are growing around him. So I, I think it's really creative. I was hoping that he would grab the kid and throw him out the window <laughs> while he was like biting him, but he just like jumps away and leaves the kid there in the, yeah. in the window. I was like, okay. Fine. Yeah. It would have been cooler. Yeah. And then everybody wakes up. Some people to their new, see, cause then you get this. It's like, how many times have Bumstead and Emma woken up and they don't have new memories in the movie. So that, that, it confuses me and uh they're still so uh, john's still being chased and the music right there sounds very matrix like especially like the car chase in the second matrix and then frank and emma save john and uh now he looks through the guide to shell beach and it's full of drawings uh, and he asks him do you know how to get to shell beach and he's like oh of course i do and we get a repeat of that again uh and we, we know for sure that nobody has no recent memories of the sun and he also says that Emma didn't have an affair. Well, what if we never... He's like, what if we never actually met in reality, which is what we've been talking about, what the whole movie's pretty much about. They say I love you to each other, and that's when he breaks the glass. And for like a couple frames, I didn't notice this until Roger Ebert pointed out, but because, you know, shattering glass is very dangerous, there's actually... It's shattering between two other panes of glass. So like for a quick frame or two, you can see that there's still a glare there when the the glass shatters but it happens so quickly that you wouldn't notice unless you're really looking for it for the eagle eye viewers out there you can watch that scene and see that i didn't notice that yeah i I mean i barely noticed it when i was looking for it so and then they have a passionate kiss yes they do so it was nice and that's when we see frank with the shoe untied 
call back to when he said to somebody else that their shoe was untied and he has this like like uh yeah <laughs> kind of look on his face <laughs> Uh, that's when the strangers arrive at the police station and put everybody to sleep. And then uh, there's a dog tap dancing behind me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they have the chief take them to Murdoch, who's supposed to be locked up. But Frank set him, has set him free. So the two of them go to Dr. Schreiber uh, looking for answers. And uh, we find out that the strangers have a phobia to water. That's why he's there. And he's not, he's not crazy or a murderer. But we kind of pretty much already knew that he wasn't a murderer. And uh, that's when uh, the doctor, he uh, holds a gun to him. He's like, here, take this syringe. You're like, I need to give you these memories. It'll help. And uh, I'm sorry, but your headphones are on backwards again. Oh, God. <laughs> it Fuck doesn't matter. The headphones. It doesn't matter, but it's just so funny every single time. Uh, <laughs> it just immediately, when I notice it, it, it distracts me like crazy. Um, anyways. So he's telling him to take the memory because it's like all the answers are here, and uh, Bumstead uh, is saves him and he takes the gun from him and yeah. So he has the the thing. With it. So he he's like, okay, where are we going? He's like to Shell Beach. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm my brain ain't working today. Okay. That's uh, okay. So he said. So uh, Frank tells him to take them to Shell Beach. So then they get into a a boat and they start rowing out in the uh, the water which is also another way to protect them from but he also uh seems very afraid about taking them to shell beach and he tries to get them to not go there so obviously he's hiding something he knows more than he's letting on yeah especially about shell beach uh there's one point where they're driving that john uses uh i didn't notice what he was doing at first but john uses tuning to it looks like he's just torturing him, but he's actually taking his glasses and like pushing it into his his head a little bit more to hurt him. Yeah, like melting his glasses. Yeah, and that's when we go back to Emma, who goes to her apartment. It's completely empty of all her stuff, and uh, Mister Book. No, not Mister Book, but Mister Book's the main guy. Um, Hand. No, Hand is. Richard O'Brien. It's the guy from uh, I said was like in the Matrix and a bunch of other movies. Uh, he's there, and he's like, "Don't worry, we'll give you nice, pretty things soon, Anna." And saying that's going to be your next name. Um, that's, but they're capturing her for now. Again, they're rowing on the boat to stay safe from the strangers and to get to Shell Beach. The movie is moving a lot faster now at the pace to get towards this climax to get towards like the answers because there is one big answer we don't have yet we have most of them we but there's something about shell beach we're we're fast forwarding to in a way and we get a lot of exposition that was the narration that they put in the beginning of the movie so some of the stuff he says here the audience got at the beginning of the movie for the theatrical cut got it first there was darkness then came the strangers They abducted us and brought us here. This city, everyone in it, is their experiment. They mix and match our memories as they see fit, trying to divine what makes us unique. One day, a man might be an inspector. The next, someone entirely different. When they want to study a murderer, for instance, they simply imprint one of their citizens with a new personality. Arrange a family for him, friends, an entire history, even a lost wallet. Then they observe the results. 
Will a man, given the history of a killer, continue in that vein? Or are we, in fact, more than the mere sum of our memories? This business of you being a killer was an unhappy coincidence. You have had dozens of lives before now. You just happened to wake up while I was imprinting you with this one. The, uh, the strain, when he says the strangers are dying and they're trying to save themselves by experimenting on the humans, and Murdoch uh, woke up while getting his newest memories, which is why he doesn't have any, and uh, why we find the broken syringe in the, in, at the beginning of the movie, why the light is swinging, and uh, yeah, so that's why. And I think we also see the doctor like walking away at the, at the beginning of the movie. So that's why all those things are happening. Although in that version or that part, that scene, he's waking up with the doctor still over him. So I'm like, okay, did he wake up and just not notice the doctor? And the doctor was able to escape in time, but I don't know. Uh, so the doctor, the strangers want to find out, want to know what how our memories, us. yeah, what makes us us, how our memories define us, and which is kind of the theme of the movie: uh, are our memories our personality and our soul do our does our soul develop from that or is it just always there later in the movie he says are you guys were looking in the wrong place and he points to his head and obviously implying his heart yeah i thought for sure i was like kind of rolling my eyes i was like he's gonna point to his heart and be like you should have looked here or yeah. something like that but he doesn't say that so props for uh not Restraint. going the yeah not doing the obvious yeah and I think we've brought that up before of like, where does the personality come from? Does it come from upbringing, genetics, the sins of our past? It's kind of mentioned when he's talking about, does he actually like do Emma and John love each other? Or is that just, they remember loving each other? And it seems that they do actually love each other. There is something more to just the, uh, the implanting, the implanting in the memories. Yeah. We also find out the strangers can't stand light. And they needed someone who understands the human mind better, so they picked him, uh, the doctor. And uh, they uh, let him keep all his skills, but they forced him to erase his own memories of like anything that came before. So he honestly doesn't remember where they came from or how it really started. He just has basic ideas of it. I, if you notice in the flashback, uh, it's, he's erasing his own memory. He's like bloody... And I think that's yeah. why he has the... Uh, the weird, la not lazy eye, but he has like a flap of skin like... Over his eye, yeah. yeah. So I'm wondering, because it's bloody there too, so I'm wondering if it's like scar tissue or was he born that way and it just happened to be the blood, but I'm thinking that's how he got it. Yeah. Which definitely. is really cool. I like that idea of uh, like having the clues there right in front of us the whole time, then seeing why that little weird thing that we've seen... There's like an explanation yeah, for it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he says you were never a boy in this place so who knows where they actually came from uh, so they get to actual shell beach and again the crooked architecture of the movie i i keep letting Cal caligari um and there's a room with a billboard painting of shell beach um he says there's no ocean where they're at the only place home exists is in your head home is where you make it yeah like uh what is that from um joe dirt do you, do you remember that movie? Oh, I saw it like when it first came out. And I haven't when seen the, it since. The country man, he's like, Home and where you make it. And he's like, You like to see homos naked? <laughs> like, no, no, no. Home and where you make it. Uh, if you can, can you put that clip in? Because it's a really funny scene. I'll try. Yeah, man, that little boy, that's me. My parents were This is my home. I thought this was it this time. Nah, home and where you make it. 
You like to see homos naked? Homo, where you make it? Yeah, you like to see homos naked. That's cool, man. Whatever. No, 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 no. Home and where you make it. Home, where you make it. Oh. Everybody know that. Goddamn, boy. Guy likes to see homos naked. That don't help me. Yeah, you like to see homos naked, man. That's cool. Whatever. <laughs> uh, so they start breaking down the wall. I noticed that they're, when they started breaking, they, they rip, he rips off the... Uh, banner the banner and there's like a square of what looks like bricks that have been replaced where they start breaking down so i'm wondering if that's like a production thing or if that was intentional like it had happened before or something. yeah kind of thing because probably not intentional yeah so he he uses his tuning to actually like push the wall into to what turns out to be space and he has to save uh frank from falling out so hold on the big reveal is that they're on this giant spaceship base so the they knock down the wall which reveals space like yeah. all you know they're in the middle of space <laughs> so yeah there is no ocean that's why there's no ocean because they're in a floating ship city type yeah. thing it's the size of probably manhattan or even bigger yeah but it's this large disc and we do get to see a big reveal of the city and there's it's the spiral so the whole spiral thing was the city mm-hmm. uh and so when i mean we'll get to why we get to see the full city but uh going back to the bricks i noticed that it looked like there was a floor below was missing a bunch of the concrete that covered the brick too man who gives a shit about the bricks <laughs> stop talking about the bricks i'm just saying i don't know if it's because like this has happened before kind of like we find out i don't think so the budget is too small just just <laughs> blame I'm, it on the production i'm bringing up questions i'm just i'm anyways they're all centered around the bricks i quit okay. <laughs> uh and then so the strangers show up and they go and now you know the truth uh, Frank and one of the strangers get sucked into space because they start fighting, and uh, that's when we get to see the big reveal of the city. And uh, there's a force field, too, so that's why they don't immediately die by breaking down the wall. But I did think it was odd that Frank didn't immediately die when he's out in the vacuum mm-hmm. of space or freeze. It's or... like a weird, like, somersault thing that he does yeah. in slow motion, and then just like. Yeah, but the, again, the, the special effects. Yeah, not great. Yeah. And did he have a smile on his face i feel like i remember him having a smile when he's like out there it's more of like uh he's finally at peace kind of thing yeah yeah which didn't not that he's like laughing sense. but i don't know yeah he just maybe finally understood what's what happened yeah. the full story mr hand says that he has become the monster that john was meant to be and he wasn't given the memories so he didn't which is why he didn't kill may because he wasn't given the memories to become a murderer uh but mr hand did get those memories and he did end up killing him uh and then he finally mr hand finally makes john go to sleep like he stops resisting and he, and he goes to sleep uh then we go back to the stranger's realm john is strapped to the uh vitruvian, vitruvian wheel again and uh they're talking about how he's evolved and how they should kill him and somebody else said he can lead us to what what we seek meeting the soul of course the the doctor is rigged up to like this weird walker thing like he could barely like move yeah but uh it's kind of like it's almost um hannibal lecter silence of the lambs but he's actually able to move in it it's like an 
HR Geiger version of a Silence of the Lambs like yeah. wheelchair thing, standing up wheelchair. They start talking about how they don't need other human beings. That Murdoch has all the answers, so they're like saying like we can just let them go. They start talking about just we don't need the machine. We can just shut it down because all the answers are here. Like like not even experimenting yet. They're just flat they out just saying no. Yeah, they, they, yeah, they know, which is kind of weird. And they want him to become one with them. Uh, so that they can learn in their hive mind, I guess, and then become individuals just magically somehow. And there's like the evil syringe, what's like filled with black goo that they wanted him to be um, injected injected with. with. And uh, but it's like twice the size of the uh, the normal one. Yeah. And of course, we we knew that this was going to. I'm sure you saw it coming from a mile away that the doctor switches the syringe mm-hmm. with the the one that Murdoch put in his pocket from earlier and we get a flash through a bunch of new memories but most of them are his memories but the doctor is in them and he's training him throughout his entire life yeah. how to use the powers uh how to tune how to control the machine who the strangers are and just everything he knows and he comes out of that flashback and just he immediately just like the vitruvian wheel thing just melts and uh he saves the doctor from his hannibal lecture giger um <laughs> thing uh they finally noticed well they did notice that something's wrong while he was like getting his memories um uh, this part is a bit of a deus ex machina because it kind of seems like there's no way out but it, i mean it was set up that he had these powers and it was building and building but it does kind of feel like a like they just turned on the Deus Ex Machina kind of thing. What do you think? Um, as far as like the battle or just the whole scene in general? It f- well, I mean, with Deus Ex Machina is usually, which means the God Machine, it's like in Toy Story 3 at the end, spoilers for Toy Story 3, that you think all the uh, toys are going to die. Yeah. And then the... Uh, aliens come in with the claw and they save them mm-hmm. i mean that was set up really well but it's basically a de- deus ex machina uh so just this out of the blue moment that saves our heroes last minute and solve all the problems um so it's kind of a bit like that but again it was set up throughout the movie yeah uh, I, no i don't i don't think it was like convenient or like oh my god a little far-fetched sure but the you know the concept of the movie is kind of far-fetched to begin with but no i didn't i didn't feel like weird about it yeah and he had so mr book is the looks like he seems to be the oldest and seems to be the leader the wisest yeah of the strangers and he has a big brain battle with uh with murdoch and it's one of those things that has been overdone recently in movies of just like in harry potter movies where it's they're just pointing their wand a little yeah, differently yeah. you know these guys are just okay so i'm just gonna come yeah. out and say it. that that whole sequence is laughably bad yeah it's it's bad they both look like they just have headaches and they're just like <laughs> pointing, yeah. pointing their heads towards each other and like giving each other their headache pains <laughs> yeah it's 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 weird because they're not, at least at first, they're not doing much of anything other than leaning forward. Just like gently. tilting their head just slightly forward and pointing their foreheads towards each other. Yeah, it should have been... 
because it's it, they're doing it for a minute. It's not just like let me give no, you some of mine, and it, then you give some of yours, and then we go back. Okay, and then I run over here, and then we go, you know, then cut to this other character doing this thing. It's just there's a good like solid minute of them staring at each other, going ah, yeah, yeah, and screaming and building this um, Dragon Ball Z like fireball yeah. powerball thing yeah they're going super sane yeah and then they like a bunch of the strangers get sent off into space i guess because they start going like up straight because they're they um the little powerball that they're creating it's like like um what's the word uh, uh destroying like the walls and the yeah. roof and all that so they're getting sucked out into space as the wherever they are is decaying yeah and then they have this like flying battle which did remind me a lot of the third matrix the end of the third matrix with mm -hmm. the neo and mr or agent smith which is just as ridiculous as well this it looks better for sure yeah but it's still terrible yeah so he starts uh oh yeah so they have that big fight and at one point mr book throws a knife at him and then murdoch just turns it around and throws it back at him and he <laughs> dies yep <laughs> simple as that yeah so that part's that's definitely my least favorite part of the movie. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean that whole scene is just, it's yeah. That's why I think I refer to it as a deus ex machina. Cause it's so, it's satisfying at first when he just melts the thing away, you're like, Oh, here comes. And then yeah. it's like, they didn't have the choreography or the effects budget or even the effects back nearly 25 years ago to do what they really wanted to do with that scene. If they did it nowadays, it might've looked better with a much higher budget. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and somebody who could choreograph a more interesting fight, but, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, everybody, all the strangers, well, most of the strangers are gone or dead. And, uh, now he has control of Murdoch now has control of their machine so he can change the world as he sees fit. Mm -hmm. He decides to create an ocean and that's when we see the water come out and it's just that early cgi gel looking water at first and i'm just like ugh, it looks so horrible i mean i've probably shit on the visual effects in this movie enough i guess but yeah, yeah no he creates an ocean that surrounds the city the force field keeps it from escaping i would say i guess and then he asks him where, he, where is he going and he says shell beach we find out that anna is now or emma is now anna she's working in a movie theater which she, did you know she has like a southern accent no i didn't notice that yeah she doesn't have very many lines but i was like does she have a southern accent she does and the uh, movie that's coming soon is book of dreams so i'm guessing there's something before it was the evil now it's book of dreams she gets on a bus to shell beach and the person who gets up to give her his seat is uncle carl I didn't notice that until this last time watching with the commentary. It's like, wait, is that Uncle Carl? Oh, and he was in a wheelchair before. Now he's standing. So it kind of uh, did two things at once. Um, Murdoch creates Shell Beach, and we find out Mr. Hand is still alive, but he's dying because of John's imprint. Been waiting for you, yes. What are you doing? I'm just making a few little changes around here, is so. all. Are we sure that's what we want? I'm prepared to take my chances. I'm dying, John. Your imprint is not agreeable with my kind. But I wanted to know what it was like. How you feel. You know how I was supposed to feel. That person isn't me. Never was. You wanted to know what it was about us that made us human. Well, you're not gonna find it. In here. 
You went looking in the wrong place. That's when he does the, you're not going to find it here, and he points to his head. You went looking in the wrong place. And uh, he makes the sun rise by flipping the city. And uh, it has a really cool, like, blown out. Like, white. Yeah, it's, like, white at first. It, uh, what did I say? It reminded me of kind of like when Neo first uses his eyes in, in Nebuchadnezzar in the Matrix. But then you see the, the dock that they're... Or, yeah, I guess it's a dock mm-hmm. that they're on. And uh, it reminded me very much of the Truman Show, which came out the same year. Yeah. Which is kind of what it is. And then one thing about that is there's almost the exact same shot in Requiem for a Dream, which also also features Jennifer Connelly mm-hmm. when she's on the edge of like a dock wearing like a very, very similar looking dress. And I always wondered if there was like some sort of connecting thread between the two, but other than Jennifer Connelly, there's not. But it's very, very strange because it's almost like the exact same shot in Requiem and in uh, this movie. I wonder if Aronofsky did do that without mentioning it to anybody. Yeah. Because it came out after this, right? Requiem? Yeah. Yeah. All right. And then John and Anna meet, and they head off to Shell Beach, which is not right where they're at, apparently. Further down, you can yeah. see it in the background. And then the movie ending credits come up, and it's a song that is it would have been better in the middle of the movie, but not like a good song to have had at the end of the movie after you know you have this somber peaceful ending and then it's like i don't know like the chase music playing again <laughs> so that is dark city yeah. i don't want to turn off my phone because i still have other things to say about it uh so yeah now we get to talk about our feelings and thoughts on it i'll start First, since I recommended the movie, yes, I do recommend this movie for people to see, especially if you love The Matrix. Just to see the comparison between the two is enough of a reason, in my opinion, to to watch it uh, and try not to be as um, judgmental. J- judgmental on the visual effects as we have, especially me. And uh, I'm a big fan of noir and the whole 40s aesthetic. It kind of reminded me a lot of Batman, but Batman the Animated Series. Roger Ebert actually suggested that in the uh, Siskel and Ebert review of it, he suggested that maybe Proyas could take over the Batman franchise because this was right after uh, Batman and Robin. Oh, wow. So that would have been an interesting take. Yeah, definitely. We come now to what is, for me, the best film so far in 1998, an astonishing visual and dramatic triumph named Dark City. It marries science fiction and film noir in a futuristic drama that reminded me of Metropolis and Blade Runner and also of The Crow, the previous film, by the same Australian director, Alex Proyas. Dark City was a reminder for me of the promise of the cinema. Movies don't have to be just photographed plays, all made up out of dialogue. They can also allow us to see new things in new ways. It's hard to make a movie like this, but Proyas has done it, and Dark City is one of the year's best films. I liked it, not as much as you, Roger, but I do like the look, for example, yeah. of The Strangers. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, this is the kind of picture that if young people see, it could scare them. Yeah. And I mean that as a compliment, yeah. because... You know, if you're going to imagine a, a force out there that can get into your brain and uh-huh. twist it around, mm-hmm. that's what they look like. And I, and I appreciate that. This yeah, is good enough to be uh, adapted, frankly, as a comic book series. Yeah, that, you see it, what I'm it, saying? It, in other words, I, if you had a comic book series, maybe oh, I'd yeah. give them an idea. The Strangers, yeah. 
I'd buy that comic well, book. Well, after I saw the movie, I assumed it was adapted from a comic oh. book, and I was surprised when I looked up to find out that it is an original story because it has mm -hmm. those graphics, the tilt shots, yeah. the forced perspective, yeah. uh, the strange swooping movements, and yeah. it's just alive. It's like, this is the movie, this is the direction Batman ought to be moving in, Well, frankly. sure. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a, we've, that's a dead series. You're right. Give him the next one. Um, There's an idea. Give Alex Proyas the next Batman movie and save the series. I've had two ideas. Uh, and in the commentary, he's like, oh, this is the part that I think took place in the late 90s. He's like, I can't, I can't imagine, uh, I can't predict where Proyas would be as a filmmaker 20 years from now. But I wouldn't be surprised if he was like Kubrick and like and comparing him like with his like Kubrick his style and everything and how he comes out with the movie every now and again but when he does it's like this like an off tour yeah like an off tour and then i think about movies like knowing and gods <laughs> of egypt and go he was way off on that one yeah yeah i love the mystery of it all and even with rewatching it it didn't uh diminish it knowing more i, I noticed more details every time it didn't make it uh, a less like oh well i know what's going to happen so i don't care as much but no i was still invested in it i think the cinematography is pretty much perfect the lighting or lack thereof is beautiful. The I wonder what this movie would have looked like in black and white because I saw um, Nightmare Alley in black and white and I think it looks better, maybe, but uh, I haven't really seen the color version. So I'm curious about that. I wonder what this would look like in black and white. Um, I love the editing. I love the pace of it all. It's fast when the characters, emotional, characters are emotional, uh, but it slows down when it needs to. My biggest complaint is the final battle and how silly everything looks, especially the visual effects. And pretty much anytime somebody's flying, because <laughs> if, like if you watch The Matrix and he flies at the end, but it's like for a second. Yeah. So, but then you watch this and it's, there's a lot of flying, and I'm like, it looked better in the original Superman movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way they fly does look uh, uh, otherworldly, but it's not. But it's it's pretty laughable. Uh, I'm sad that Rufus Sewell doesn't get much work now even though he was in a bad movie recently but everybody in that cast they're pretty good actors so just that movie sucked uh, the entire movie is eye candy the plot and the mystery keep me engaged but i don't lose that on repeat viewings like i said while i enjoyed irobot it makes me sad that proyas never really made anything great after this my final score i'm gonna say 8.8 8.8 yeah okay um, so overall, I I did actually enjoy the movie. Not that I was expecting not to, but um, right. I did enjoy the movie, especially going into it completely um, blind, um, not knowing anything about it. So if nothing else worked for me, the quote-unquote feel and design of the movie was an absolute 10. Uh, it's visually stunning, and not just from a cin cinematography standpoint, which I know I drone on and on about a lot. Um, it was really beautiful to view and experience all the location, even the props uh, that they use, like the syringes, oh, yeah. and, like, you know, um, the costumes, the art and the set design and the world building that they have in this film, um, which is to say that there's a lot of it. Um, you know, the movie feels very original in those aspects like like i said the costume design the set design just building the world it's very original um the editing it's funny that you say you like the editing um i think in my personal opinion was one of the biggest cons that i have of this film um i feel like it was like a little too jarring and way too fast paced and mm -hmm. frenetic for a movie like this there's also some really not good acting in spots like yeah. what we mentioned before 
it's a definitely a unique story uh, with the noir, noir twist, which, like you, I also really love. You can definitely see the influence this film had on others, like The Matrix, Inception, The 13th Floor, yeah. um, and rightfully so. Alex Proyas can build a world like nobody's fucking business. He's an absolute master at building like worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, even from the opening shot, it's like this almost the exact same opening shot as like the crow it's like a miniature and like this you're like the camera's like flying through it it's like the same in the crow and the opening mm-hmm. shot in this movie are the same um so again overall i i did enjoy the movie few nitpicks here and there but um final score i'm going to give it a 7.58 out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> Again, with that extra hundredth... Uh, <laughs> the point eight, man. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I would say that's a good score. Um, I should have asked what you thought I was going to give it before I gave yeah. it a score. I mean, it was very hard to tell what you were thinking beyond the uh, parts where you mentioned with the acting and yeah. the, the visual effects and all that. Um, yeah, no. I, I mean, I'm not surprised. There, there were, Every time I show you a movie, well, the two that I've shown you, that I picked, I'm like going, what if he hates it? I'm going to feel so bad for bringing it up and saying, you know, but you know, I do want to have one of those someday where you give it a two and I give it a 10 and we'd have a full on like, absolutely. I'm I'm waiting for that moment too. It's going to come. I know. Oh, for sure. And I need to not be nice to you about movies that I might think are a two. Not that I think that anything you've brought so far is anywhere close yeah, to all of my two low. movies that I've suggested. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we'll ever really get there, but I hopefully have a feeling we will. There's going to be there's going to be something. That's going to be our highest rated episode ever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So no, that's cool that you uh, you did appreciate it for what I thought you would appreciate it for. Absolutely. Um, there's, and there's a lot to appreciate about yeah. it. It's not just like oh, the cinematography was great. That's it. Like no, there's a lot to it that I did enjoy. Yeah, and that that was the thing that I saw when I first saw it. I went, oh, he'll enjoy this purely based based on cinematography. Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, do you have any trivia? Yeah, there's a there's a couple things. There's a lot on IMDb, but a lot of it is like yeah. okay, that's not really interesting or relevant or whatever. Um, so according to Alex Proyas, in the movie, it kind of seems like the ship slash the city are just kind of like floating in space, mm-hmm. but apparently they're not stationary. They're actually traveling somewhere. So in the audio commentary, I think Proyas mentions that there are there were ideas for a sequel to Dark City. He was interested in seeing what would happen with Murdoch's character now that he's able to control the world he's in. He also wanted to delve deeper and look into whether or not that his power ever corrupted him he mentions later in the commentary that he doesn't think that the power would drive murdoch to turning evil but he addresses this as a psychological question more than a narrative one so if there was a a sequel they could have you know he becomes this like demigod who could yeah. be and uses his power for evil or just to help himself and not help others so yeah interesting it'd be interesting i'd love the sequel let's see where what do you do although this is gods of egypt prius now not uh i robot or dark city <laughs> yeah so also i guess it was a surprise to alex prius that Kiefer sutherland ended up in the dr schreiber role um Sutherland mentioned to the director that when he received the script, he didn't understand why it had come to him. He thought it was a mistake and that they had actually wanted his father, Donald Sutherland, hmm. instead. 
Proyos didn't take Kiefer Sutherland in the role seriously at first, but met him anyway, and the meeting actually completely turned Proyos around in his opinion for the role. Uh, Schreiber was originally intended to be cast in, as someone um, older, but the director recognizes that it works better if the character is younger, mm-hmm. someone who has their life ahead of them, but this world is all they know of a future. Very interesting. Yeah. That's something we didn't really talk about too much, because uh, you were talking about the way he talks in the memories of him uh, or that the new memories that help him become the, the God every time he sees Schreiber, Schreiber, whatever he's, um, he's talking perfectly fine. He's talking like the Kiefer Sutherland that we know. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the trivia things that I was going to point out, but you mentioned too, is, uh, the rooftop scene mm-hmm. where he's going from rooftop to rooftop. So, one of the first things I notice is like it's shot exactly the same as like the crow mm-hmm. um, when he's going from rooftop to rooftop and even like the um, it's like a low angle looking up at the top of the roofs as he jumps from one roof to another yeah. it's like straight out of, straight out of the crow um, but also on in those scenes if you look closely um, some of the sets like the roofs might look a little bit uh familiar familiar to you um and that's because shortly after this movie wrapped the matrix was moving into the same studios that they were shooting this in and they actually borrowed large pieces of the set from (laughs) dark city so the whole rooftop scene uh, a lot of it was used in uh the matrix so and like you can tell because there's a shot between the two buildings in the matrix the the opening where uh, a cop tries to jump the gap and they don't quite make it and they have to grab onto the side and so they have that low angle as well uh i put my hands up to frame it in case you needed that that's very cool yeah um another thing going off that which i think is amazing is that um throughout this entire movie there's not one practical location used um so that means that they didn't go to new york to shoot some of this or la to shoot some of this this entire movie was shot on a stage which i think is incredible for the way that they made it feel like a living breathing city um that's amazing so that's very impressive and also gives it that artificial feel which it is it's all supposed to be created by these strange things strangers yeah um and then the last thing uh another commentary fun fact i guess so in the commentary for the crow alex proyas uh, recollected that he had the idea for dark city in his head while he was actually filming the crow he later stated in an unrelated moment that he and brandon lee would often take breaks from filming and would talk about future projects that they would like to have done together after filming on the crow was complete so i think it's might be safe to assume that maybe brandon lee would have been john Murdoch, I almost said Murtaugh, um, (laughs) in Dark City, which would be very interesting to have seen if his career wasn't tragically cut short. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been cool. I would have been interested. I would have been very... I would love to have seen Brandon Lee just kind of like see where his career went. Because I think, I mean, he was a good actor, obviously a really good like action star, but I think he could have done... He could have gone a lot further in his career. Yeah. Just like his dad. Yep. Yep. So, R.I.P. That sounded so... Yeah, fake. <laughs> <laughs> insincere. Yeah. Um, so, is that all the... Yep, that's that's all the trivia. Very cool. Uh, yeah, I'm, 
I love hearing trivia, so I tried to avoid it as much as possible. And I did have that Matrix rooftop thing in the notes, and I was like, okay, I can I not say it, just kind of hint at it. But uh, so, yeah, because I know I got to leave that up to you. To yeah. That's <laughs> your thing, man. Yeah. Um, I want to bring up a couple reviews, though. I only have two. One's a positive, one's a negative. Uh, I'll just do the negative one first. This was on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, a one star review of this movie, where it just says, there wasn't a single monkey. <laughs> what the fuck does that have to do with anything i don't know okay i just thought that was funny i looked for other ones and there were just a bunch of people ranting about this movie's so overrated because blah 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 and it's just like so you went else. with the monkey one instead because it's funny okay but uh this is a positive review from uh the writer neil gaiman i don't know uh that name he, sounds familiar he uh he's done comic books he's done a lot of books okay. uh, the movie Coraline is based on one of his books american gods a bunch of others, and I'm sure people who are listening right now are screaming. Even me, when I'm listening back on this, I'm probably screaming at, at the at my own uh, speakers. But uh, he said, "Dark City is it is a more than." I'm gonna have to start that again. Take two, because I'm just thinking in my brain. I should have brought my glasses so I can see properly. All right. Dark City is a more than competent fusion of science fiction and comics and fantasy movies movie themes. A flashy postmodern mix that rapidly put me in the mind of the nocturnal nightscape of some somnambulist. Yes, yeah, somnambulist. That one. Do you yeah. want me to read the review? Yeah, <laughs> I'm a strong reader. <laughs> I feel like a child. I know. Do you want mommy to read it for you? Yeah. Dark City is a more than competent fusion of science fiction and comics and fantasy movie themes, a flashy postmodern mix that rapidly put me in the mind of the nocturnal cityscape of Sanambulas in the Mr. X comics of Clive Barker's Cenobites, of Terry Gilliam's skyscraper ships, all blended in with a jigger of Kafka and a dash of Theodore Sturgeon. It's visually smart noir in every sense. One can forgive it of many of its problems for the moment of conceptual breakthrough that dominates the film. The moment when Rufus Sewell breaks through the wall of the world to see what's behind. That's what science fiction and fantasy is for, after all. To take one behind the scenes to force one to reinvent the paradigm, and Dark City does that in spades. Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. I think it's Gaiman. Gaiman. But I could be wrong. So, yeah, I thought that was really cool, coming from somebody who has such a crazy good imagination to see this movie and to give it such high praise mm-hmm. so. yeah and uh if if nothing else this movie is definitely imaginative oh for sure so for sure um so let's move on to or unless you have anything else to say about the movie i do not let's move on to movies we've seen recent movies or shows we've seen recently and you can go first i think i only have two episodes left of um ozark mm-hmm. and i'm kind of dreading it being the end but the last two episodes that i saw are really good they're really raising the stakes is it the last two of the season or the series the, the series well, so now yeah. i can binge watch it <laughs> yeah and then i finally watched the first episode of severance? i wanted to say succession but it's not succession um severance severance yes i almost turned it off <laughs> in the middle um it got better and i'm gonna watch one more episode but it it didn't do anything for me and i see what they're doing and i get the the um being john malkovich references Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but obviously i wasn't a huge fan of being john malkovich to begin with but um i'm gonna give it another episode i it's been overhyped for me already so i had like big high expectations going into it um so we'll see what happens but 
not a not a great start for me nah, let's put it that way i've yet to see it um i need to give it a chance but i mean there are a billion things i need to watch so uh i haven't even seen Fly- firefly more than two episodes everybody keeps I talking about i haven't that. seen anything yeah. from that i don't uh, even know what that is um i saw jock tati's playtime i don't know if you know who that is i know there's a big compilation of his uh, from criterion and everybody keeps showing it on their pictures on Reddit and everything going, oh, look it, I got the collection, I got the... So I was like, okay, maybe I'll give it a chance. I wasn't sure what it was, like even what genre it was, but I really enjoyed it. It's very comedic. Uh, it's just flat-out comedy. Um, I like the cinematography because there's a lot of like grids and a lot of office space stuff, and the buildings are grids, and it's just this idea of being... It, it made me laugh a lot too because when I we went to France, I had a connecting flight in Paris, but in two different airports in Paris. So I had to go from one airport to the other on a bus through Paris, and I didn't see a single landmark. And that's kind of this movie where it's this. In, I don't want to say industrial, the uh, the business part of of Paris, because mm-hmm. we see little like well, like somebody opens a door and you see the reflection of the uh, Eiffel Tower. And I'm like, how the hell did they do that in 1967? Uh, another 1967 movie. And um, there's just a lot of Chaplin-esque gags in the movie. Uh, not a lot of dialogue. It's it's in French, German, and English. Because uh, there are a lot of tourists involved. So it, there wasn't a whole lot for me to read. As you guys know, I'm not the strongest reader. Uh, but I thought it was great. I thought it was hilarious. And we'll probably do it on the show at some point. So Okay, that's good to I know. I need, need to watch more of his movies. So I recommend it. That's it for this episode. Uh, um, thank you for listening. Shh, don't we go over what I'm... Your homework? Oh my gosh, duh. So sorry. Fucking guy trying to run away so quickly before getting his homework? How uh, dare you? Sorry, you have the floor. So as we've stated before, uh, I have a list that's growing exponentially every time Mm -hmm. for, um, you know, week by week it's growing, uh, but I'm going off like the movies that I said that I put on the list from the beginning. Um, This movie is a movie that I saw um, when I was young, much younger, and really enjoyed it. And every time I watch it, I enjoy it more and more. Uh, it's smart. I'll just leave it. It's very, very excellently written, excellently directed. It's underrated. I think it's, I wouldn't call it a masterpiece, but it's definitely a fucking really fun well-directed, well-written movie that I really enjoy. Uh, it's 2000's The Way of the Gun. For the record, I'll call myself Mr. Parker. My associate will be Mr. Longbow. At some point, it became clear to us that our path had been chosen and we had nothing to offer the world. So we stepped off the path and went looking for the fortune that we knew was looking for us. And here was the thing. The longest distance between two points is a kidnapper and his money. But we were through jerking around. Have you seen it? <laughs> it's one of those movies you've been suggesting for me forever. So. Have I another one? Yeah. So there, was, you, there you go. You let me borrow that, and for some reason I avoided it. I think that was one of the things where I was like, um, 
uh, you gotta see Dark City. You're like, you gotta see the way of the gun. I was yeah. like, Ugh. I don't know why I've been avoiding it. Um, I know it doesn't have a very high score on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, not that I don't know. IMDb right. has a, a 6.6. That's not horrible. Written and directed by Christopher McQuarrie, uh, who's gone on to do like fucking Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. He's it's like, like, I know that name. He's, he's, yeah, he's absolutely killing it. He's at the height of his career. Um, starring Ryan Felipe, Benicio del Toro, Juliet Lewis, uh, James Caan, uh, Tay Diggs. The, the cast is stacked. It's a great movie. Uh, it's a heist film, crime caper, whatever you want to call it. I love it. Very interested to see what you're gonna see say about it. I actually just bought it. You can borrow it. I thought you owned it before. I did, but I think it was the DVD version, not the Blu-ray. Well, doesn't matter. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, your homework assignment is going to be the way of the gun. All right, finally, get, this is this is one of the points of this podcast, so we can get each other to watch these movies. We've finally. been telling each other to watch for forever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, I'll, I'll go in with the most open mind possible, uh, which I don't know why I don't have an open mind because it is a western. Uh, obviously, I love westerns based on that other episode. So it's our second western. It's not a western. Okay, so maybe it's a neo-western? Sure, you okay. you call those westerns, but it's set in, you know, modern times. Oh, okay, okay, I didn't know um, that. It's more of a, like a thrilling... Well, you said heist movie, so... Yeah, heist movie. Let's not give too much away, I guess. Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, let me see if I can find where it might be playing for other people to yeah, be able to watch I it. Don't, I don't check on those things. Because you don't have real good, the app, it tells you where everything is real, as in movie real. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Well, it's one of those movies that's available on a bunch of free streaming services, which means it comes with commercials. Uh, but it's on Tubi, Pluto TV, Plex, v- Vudu, the Roku channel, all of them for free. So, Oh, and it's also on Canopy and Hoopla, uh, if you have a subscription to that. And uh, last week I said that uh, Canopy is that thing where you put in your library, library card. And if you're a library associated with your card... Uh, has that movie on their list, then you can watch the movie. So it's really strange. Um, Which, if you're lucky enough to have a Los Angeles Public Library card, we have a extensive network of uh, libraries. So yeah, Odds it'll probably be on there. So that'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah. LA's cool. Yeah. Um, Just not the gas prices. Yeah, no. I Small paid, price to pay. I already said that. I paid five fifty five today. Um, so yeah, thank you guys for listening. Uh, check out that movie, The Way of the Gun. Uh, leave us a review, like uh, my friend Omega Merck. That's what his name was, but it's my friend Gonzo that I mentioned last week. said, Michael Gaddy, more like Michael Zaddy. <laughs> <laughs> and then hard eyes emoji. Every episode is entertaining and informative. Every hearing, enjoy hearing their perspective on films. I've seen and added films to my must-see list based on their reviews. I need to bring my my glasses when I read. I'm, yes, you do. I'm an Grandpa. old man. Thank you for leaving us that review. Yeah, thank you. Uh, if you have the time, please. We love reading them, even if it's a bad one. Yeah, uh, those I, be fun. We, we hope you don't have bad feelings about this. But if you do, please share them with us. Uh, and if you don't want to do a review, if that's too much work, um, if you could just leave us five stars, again, that would be very, very helpful. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, I was looking at the numbers really quick, and uh, uh, our friend in the Netherlands uh, is now our our most listened to international 
group of people. It's probably just one person, but uh, Kingdom of the Netherlands, 13. Uh, they've listened to every episode. Uh, same with France. Singapore with eight episodes. And then United Kingdom. So thank you guys for listening. Hopefully the Netherlands, you guys still listen to this episode too. And check us out on all the social media web things. I really sound old. Uh, go to Instagram at Cinephilia Podcast, Twitter or TikTok at Cinephilia Pod. Uh, Letterbox, my personal one is Eye Opening EXP. Yours is? Mine is uh, As the Sun Sets. That's also our Instagram handles. Yes. Uh, and you can email us at Cinephilia at pod sorry cinephilia pod at gmail.com yeah uh, so yeah leave us feedback you can if you don't want to be so public with your reviews you can send us directly stuff on well the email i guess and uh if you have something a movie you want us to see or you know if we get a bunch of people saying the same movie we'll probably end up watching it somehow yeah definitely maybe someday we'll have a poll when we have a lot more viewers or we have a lot of subscribers on our uh social media so maybe we'll put up a poll someday. Uh, I don't know. We won't tell you where that poll is going. <laughs> oh, we have a subreddit too, but I, I <laughs> no one's going to go. But yeah, there's nothing on there, so yeah. there's no point in going. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll let you know how there will be blood is and spoilers. It's going to be great. It's going to be great, and there will be blood, and there will be blood. Um, so thank you for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, Tressa. Like a flower bending in the breeze, bend with me, sway with ease. When you dance, you have to bear with me. Stay with me. I know the way we've been looking at this film may seem to some people as if it's obsessively detailed, and maybe it is. But I enjoy that process. I think that the more closely you look at a film, uh, the more you can enjoy it when you then, on a subsequent viewing, step back and look at it all the way through. It's sort of like looking at sports or a chess game. If you don't understand the rules, it's just pieces of wood or players in uniforms moving around on a field. And when you do understand the rules, that's when strategy and purpose and poetry begin to emerge.